Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. Graham McMillan and I are answering your questions in episode 73, or at least as many of your questions as we can get to in two and a half hours. We thought that would be a lot, but of course, we were very, very wrong. Still, we do talk about Marvel at South by Southwest, Graphically's new e-pub shooting initiative, prose books we've read and music we're listening to, our favorite inkers, Brian K. Vaughn's upcoming book, Saga, the best Jack Kirby book to start with, the original Howard the Duck, how many waffles we can eat in one sitting, who might be taking over Avengers, superhero movies, dramatic reading from Justice League number 5, and really, much, much more. We apologize if we did not answer your question, but we are planning on getting to it in episode 74. Joy and as always, thank you for listening. Hello. Wow, just that one word. It was great. <laughs> I did like the silence afterwards. I was like, did he hear me? What's going on? Well, I always wait. Sometimes, you know, you've got a thing. But I do like that itself is like you really should be like um they ever come up with like some sort of like 2001 Space Odyssey ripoff, you would be the perfect, you know, gay <laughs> robot voice, Graham. I mean that in the, it's a highest compliment. Really do. But just that one. They'll be, they'll be like, rem- we need someone who sounds really nasal and has a weird accent and sounds a bit gay. We'll, we'll go for Graham. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, it's a dream gig. I really, honestly, it was perfect. A whole world of really interesting possibilities in just that one word, Graham. I, I can't tell how much I feel insulted by what you're saying right now. No, no, no. It's a good thing. You should feel Really? Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, it is. It is. Okay. Dude, go with it. So, however, how's your? how do your volume settings feel to you? They seem completely fine to me. Are they not fine for you? You might be a touch loud on my end, but I've been trying to adjust it. Do you, can you can you turn down your volume a bit? What about now? I think that seems fine. Okay, well, then let's go with this. I don't know. It still <laughs> seems loud. Hold on a second. Ugh. All right, I'm just going to try turning down the volume on my end. Uh, okay, say something. Hello, hello, testing, okay. testing. Perfect, perfect. Yes, 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 yes. Well, good, good. <laughs> this will make for great listening for the listeners. Well, it, everyone's like, ah, oh, the most dramatic opening ever. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I totally, literally dashed across town to get here in time. I, I saw you just come online like a minute ago, and I was like, he's cutting it fine. And then all of a sudden, you just call. You're like, hello. Except you didn't even say that. You just called, and you had no noise. I I don't I don't do that thing because you you I don't want to step over your things. Sometimes you've got a thing. Sometimes I I, I, a, I well I had no thing today. Me. Sorry. I was. You know what I was actually doing? I was reading through the questions that everyone had sent us. Oh, sweet and I, I was lost in thought. <laughs> can we should we just issue? Can we just issue our apolo- uh, our apology now? Like, well, the, just there's no me? way we're gonna get to all the questions. Yeah, there's that, and there's just the fact that there are brilliant questions in there that I have no idea how to answer. Oh, there, there's there's essay questions in there. There's ones that we might have to skip and come back to. Yeah. yeah. And they seem really – it's like there's a couple that seem really simple, but the more I think about it, the more I'm like, oh, God, that we could talk about that for an entire podcast on its own. Yes. You know, so yeah. there's there's really – yeah, there's really a – we'll see. We'll see how far we get. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Should we jump in on that immediately, or is there some sort of world-shaking news that we I, should I cover? Don't, is there? 
I don't think I don't so. The only news so. I can think so of thing today is the new Oni Press logo, which I like, but that's about it. Oh, interesting. I have to admit, it does look like Scud the Assassin with boobs to me. I'm completely okay with that. <laughs> I, I, I'm perfectly fine with it because I didn't really like the old Oni logo. Mm-hmm. Like, it was really distinctive, but I didn't actually mm-hmm. like it. And I, I yeah. like the new one a lot more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that they're better served by a slightly more abstract one. Uh, the Oni Press one was because the, the previous one was the Dave Givens de, like demon mask, the, the yeah. Oni mask face, yeah. right? And and that to me, it somehow wasn't always appropriate for some of the books that it was on. No, exactly. You know what, I mean? what is really interesting though is the new Oni Press logo really reminds me of the Zuda logo. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I can see that too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll see if I, I and I only realized that like after I wrote about it for Newsroom and I, I was almost tempted to go back in and edit the piece. <laughs> so it looked like I always said that, and I was like, "That's not worth it." Oh, okay. Well, it's, you, you got it in here now. Yes. So. There you go. Hey, everyone! It looks like the Zuda logo. Although by the time you hear this, probably half the internet will have said that. Maybe, maybe not. Um, I don't know. Uh, but no, I mean it's 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 a quiet news period, I think, right now. Yeah, I sort of got that impression too. Um, you know, I, I have those when I did have that like two minutes of trying to set up. I'm like, okay, okay, let's jump over and see if there's anything kind of going on on Bleeding Cool. You know, there, there's nothing going on in Bleeding Cool or any the new sites. But there, I got a fascinating email today from Marvel um, that I, well, by the time this comes out will be not everyone knows what it's about. Marvel's at South by Southwest this weekend. Oh, really? And wow. debuting something they call a revolutionary new way to read comics. Um, it's a, it's a digital thing. It's a, I think it's like um, a new digital comics format. But they will not. Because I emailed and I was like, I I write for Techland. Like, if you can tell me even embargoed what this is, I can at least try and get a story of about this on Techland. And they were like, we really can't tell you. If anyone from Titan is there, let us know and we'll say hello and we'll we'll give them anything about after the announcement. But we can't even hint at it before the announcement. Wow. So that's either Marvel being dicks or something. Oh, no, because they, they, they have been in the past, but also they're not always. Do you know what I mean? Like sometimes they'll yes. like, well, if you can keep this under embargo, it's this. Um, right. But this was really like, we can't tell you. <laughs> like, we're really sorry we can't. And I went through two different PR people at Marvel. Huh. So I don't, I don't think it is just them being dicks. Um, so I, I will see what it is. Hmm. Hmm. Do, do you have it? And you have no theories whatsoever? I have no idea. Because huh. that would be the sort of thing where I'm like, oh, let's start, let's start speculating. But uh, we have so many questions. Uh yeah, I'll be kind of curious to see what it is. Also, uh, that graphically thing, that was kind of, in theory, a big deal, isn't it? That it is, like no one's enough. talking about it. I, at all. I was really shocked, like, how few people have even mentioned it. And I'm like, this seems... I, I don't think they framed it right, because I had some friends who very much uh, follow the ebook and e-publishing thing and it was it actually made a much bigger splash over in the world of you know, struggling e-authors yeah. than it did in the world of comics. And I'm like, okay, so why? But, but here's why the thing, that? graphically has not made a splash. Do you know what I mean? Graphically is, right. is comicsology at some point took off and became, this is what digital comics are. 
Yeah. And graphically, it's sort of been fucked as a result. And it's kind of a shame. But, I mean, if you look at the graphically store, their selection's terrible. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is. It's one of those weird things of it's amazing how important selection. It is kind of ironic, like, in a way, like, when we talk about comic book stores versus digital, like, if nothing else, there's so much, so much hinges on selection. Yeah. You know, and and I hate to say it, but yeah, Comixology is, uh, dude, I was, I was, I picked up a um, copy, uh, like, you know, a, a f- Marvel was giving away a free issue of Thor on their Marvel app, and uh, someone may have taken advantage of the um, mismatched price on Ozma of Oz. You know, and it's like basically, it's like I just I can open up that one program and do the majority of my reading. In that way, I'm actually kind of glad that Shonen Jump Alpha kicks in next week because I do want to to be able to. I, I don't want the market to become a singularity so quickly. You know, on the other hand, which I think is why I think Graphically is trying to do this open source thing, if that's what it is, they just. But no one seems to be talking about it or running with it or, you know, like, what does it mean? Part of it is, uh, and this is just totally talking about something It's not one of the questions, but let's talk about it anyway. Um, comics journalism does not have a good handle on digital comics. Mm-hmm. It just, oh, it just yeah. doesn't. Um, yeah. And I can think of maybe two people who handle it well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if they just happen to not see it, or right. they're working on it and they've not said anything yet, it looks like a story's not being covered. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. I, that That is probably a huge chunk of it right there. And, and um, to just skip ahead to a question. Patrick Gaffney yes. asked if digital books were a buck cheaper. No, sorry, he asked, uh, the, do you have any idea why there's been no stories on DC books being unavailable in Comixology app for over a month now? Uh, I had no, I have no idea. I didn't know that was happening, but um, I have questions in with the appropriate people, so hopefully I'll have an answer for you soon. <laughs> we'll make sure that I understand that right. Like by that question, he means why aren't the books that are currently available on the Kindle Fire, the Kindle Fire price, available on Comicsology? Is that what he means? No, I think what he's actually saying is why aren't any of the books available on the Kindle Fire? <laughs> oh, there were things available, and now there aren't. Oh, okay, which uh, that, yeah makes sense because the the exclusivity term mm-hmm. came to an end, so maybe they stopped being available in the Kindle Fire. Anyway, I've 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 forwarded questions to appropriate people, and hopefully, I'll have an answer. Did you find books that were unavailable? Because what I did I, was I, mean, I just I'm jumped even, over and looked I'm not it. even on Kindle Fire, so I didn't even check. I just I oh, literally okay. just sent it on to the people I know at the various companies. I was like, like, what? Well, yeah, pretty much. Whoa. Yeah, exactly. Because I, what I did is the closest I got to actually researching that question was going to Amazon and looking at Watchmen and seeing that it was still available, you know, for sale for the Kindle Fire. But but is it available on a Kindle Fire app? Because I don't have a Kindle Fire. <laughs> right, exactly. And that's the sort of thing of like, I don't know, but I'm kind of like, in theory, you can buy it on the... On, on Amazon itself and have it delivered sort of similarly similar to the way you can buy something on a Kindle uh, you know buy something on online at Amazon site and have it automatically go to your Kindle app but you know I wasn't sure if he meant that or because I was very clear there was never any sort of specific due date given for when those books the Kindle Fire books might be um, accessible to any other Kindle thing. Because, of course, for yeah. someone like me, well, the, who has the Kindle a, app on the iPhone... There was a four-month exclusivity. 
Yeah, but that was just exclusivity for the Kindle app, right? Yeah, but they theor- didn't... theoretically after that for a month, it could appear at any point. Yeah, but I don't think they... I don't remember them saying that, and so part of me is like, I don't really see why they would. You know what I mean? Like, they're not breaking a promise that they that they made. They just were very careful not to make that promise, you know? Not that that excuses them or whatever, but I, yeah, I'm glad you're looking into it, because that was a question where I was like, I'm baffled yeah, and I, impressed. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I had no idea. In answer to the question, I think that the reason no one's talking about it is people don't know. Yeah. Well, yeah. Honestly, it was one of those where it's like I I felt like if I I was the reporter type, the first thing I would have done was actually email Patrick and gotten a little more clarification. That would require me being a good reporter. (laughs) Dude, (laughs) no one's expecting that of you, Graham. They really shouldn't. Oh, man. Okay, let's get into the questions. I will start yes. with the Twitter ones, and then I'll move on to the, the ones in Savage Critic. Because the Twitter Perfect. ones, there only was like five, and they're really short. Oh, good. Okay. okay. <clears throat> David Brothers asked, what is the best book book, not comic book, you last read? Hmm, that's a good question. Uh, do you want to start? Um, I'm currently in the middle of reading lots of Alexander McCall Smith. <laughs> do you know who that is? No. He's the guy who wrote um, the number one ladies detective agency. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I'm reading that series, reading the Sunday Philosopher's Club series, which is set in Edinburgh. Oh, nice. Um, and it's this weird thing where it is – it's appealing to me on lots of different directions. Uh, nice. I, the main character is a philosopher who investigates crimes from a philosophy point of view, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So she gets involved because she thinks it's the right thing to do, but at the same mm-hmm. time – she has no desire to bring someone to justice as much as to understand why the crime happened. Mm. Hmm. Which I kind of love. Um, mm-hmm. It takes place in Edinburgh, so there's lots of Scottish jokes. Because Alexander mm. Goldsmith himself is Scottish. Um, and that seems weirdly... It's not that I get homesick, but it feeds whatever homesick I would have, if that makes sense. Sure. To read something that's so... I mean, the books are so blatantly Scottish. It, it sounds like an odd thing to say, but they really are. Like, there's jokes about, well, people from Edinburgh make terrible soup. And I'm like, I understand. <laughs> Explain. Do you know what I mean? Uh, or he describes the areas of Edinburgh, and I'm like, I've been there. I know that. I, I know that that's what people do. I understand when he talks about certain areas having certain characteristics. I'm like, yeah, sure. That's great. Um, but at the same time, I, I think it's the sort of book that not everyone would like. Mm. I, I think a lot of people could find it too twee. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm, See, I'm really into it. In fact, it's, one, another thing that appeals to me is it's really – it's an easy read, if that makes sense. Like, it, it, it's, I get through them really quickly. Right, right. I can imagine. No, and I'm sure I'm sure that's part of the appeal. And frankly, the, the mystery is one of the last refuges of the twee, isn't it? Really? You know what I mean? It's- Oh, yeah. Oh, dude. Well, because, I mean, there's always those people who are all about, you know, the tea cozy mystery. That sort of stuff still survives, you know? So Yeah, I'm in general a big fan of that, I have to admit. Mm -hmm. Like, like, give me a good Miss Marple. The Miss Marple TV show, the British Mm -hmm. Marple TV show that exists right now, I think is spectacular. And it's totally a tea cozy mystery. Right, right. Exactly. So uh, I I would be more inclined to try... uh, this then I would like a Miss Marple in that sense because I do I do love the sort of 
like the twee aspects i just need it, it with a little bit of extra in there you know whatever it is that's in there to make it unique and the idea of having it in scotland and with a philosophy angle makes it makes it pretty charming yeah it's it's, it's charming is a very good way to describe it. Um, so yeah, I'm reading that. I read Jonathan Carroll's Heidelberg Cylinder last night, which is really, really short. It's like oh. it's a novella that is maybe 30 pages long. It's Ooh. yeah, it's tiny, um, but it's very good and very uh, probably the one of the better late era Jonathan Carroll things. Because hmm. for me, Jonathan Carroll was of a level up until like '94, and then mm-hmm. nosedived <laughs> dramatically. Um, and then, but then his last book I thought was actually pretty, like his old stuff, as good as his old stuff. So, oh, good. Maybe he's on the oh. back. Yeah, exactly. Wonder what changed there. Um, hmm. Well, wow. that's a that's that is a good little list for myself. I, you know, it's funny because I'm I'm currently reading Zone One by Colson Whitehead, and I'm only I'm only about a quarter of the way through it. So it's that really, the zombie book. It is the zombie yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's it's good. I'll see if it comes together. It's always, you can't really make that call at like a quarter of the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I, I'm, I'm pretty, generally I'm adoring what he's doing with it so far. And it's I, really of, yep. Yeah. I was going to say, I remember there being incredibly good reviews of it. Yes, yes. Although some of the reviews that I saw, because I saw one, I saw a review in like uh, the New York Times, uh, I think the Sunday uh, book review section, that was kind of appalling in its, um, uh, with its faint praisedness. Like it really was like, well, it's always fantastic to see some, the, the, the writer of the review spent a tremendous amount of time condescending to uh, genre fiction. Like, wow, it's always great to see, you know, a real writer of literary fiction just, you know, just kind of kick back and you can see them enjoying themselves by working in a lesser literary form oh. and, you know, that sort of thing. Like, and it was just like, ugh. And, you know, so it's been interesting reading this book. I feel like the last three books that I've read have very much been. Um, sort of that weirdo slipstream thing going on of having, you know, literary authors uh, tackle stuff that is very firmly um, works that could easily be considered genre pieces. Uh, so with Whitehead, it, just the level of prose is exquisite, and, and it's interesting seeing, like, oh, okay, what you know, what is genre and what is literary? And apart from just the level of language and prose, which is, you know, fantastic, uh, he has an ability to, like, I'm quarter of the way through, and I'm not, arguably, not much has happened. Like, it started off with a bang and has since been a very lively but digressive um, meandering path of what the scope of sort of this post-apocalyptic society is like, but also, of course, you know, in true zombie novel fashion, how much it really resembles our current time. Mm-hmm. Similarly, I think the flip side of that is the two books ago, the last quote-unquote good book that I read and finished was... Um, Super Sad True Love Story by Gary Steingart, which I thought was just phenomenal. And that is set in like a near future, so arguably it's a sci-fi novel, but it is very, very firmly in that way of sending something in the near future to really emphasize how fucked up 
current culture is. So it's it's um, it's set in the days of America and it, on its last legs, and tells the story um, of an older guy who falls in love with a younger girl, and the thrust of their impossible, you know, super sad true love story uh, is set very much against the backdrop of the last sort of collapse of the last leg of America and seeing sort of all the tension that's inherent in that premise, how much that reflects our current tension now, like people can walk around and at every point you're essentially being graded on your, you know, your fuckability, your likability, and your credit score. Like, is just oh a, it is shown to everyone because everyone is so hooked up with their with the apparat, which is essentially, you know, this little tiny iPhone of the future that allows you, of course, to do everything and allows you constant access to everything. But just the entire him as like a crazy old goat you know who's like over the hill at the age of 40 trying to date someone who's 20 who you know is so immersed in that culture and talks about the porn that she was watching in kindergarten and stuff is her cultural reference marks is like it's really funny and it's it's shockingly on point i think i might have mentioned it to you there's a scene where because it's set in new york where they talk about the 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 camps of protesters in Central Park. Um, I was reading this just as you know the Occupy Wall Street stuff was was breaking out, and it it couldn't have been more creepy and timely. Which yeah. is interesting because he had published it, you know, uh, just like eight months previously. So that's a phenomenal book that I totally recommend. And then I read uh, Murakami's One Q eighty four, which is like nine hundred pages long, and the first four hundred pages were one of the f- like my favorite books ever. And the last four hundred pages was hands down easily one of the worst books I've ever read. Ever. <laughs> really? Oh, it what was happened? so bad, Graham. It, it, good question. Uh, it starts off. Have you have you read a lot of Murakami or any? Not, no, I've read like a minimal amount. Okay, all right. So he it starts very much off in that sort of. It, it has a more thrillery aspect to a Murakami type um, of, of book in that um, there are two characters who uh, have been plunged into essentially uh, an alternate world. They start off in 1984 and at some point they realize that they are in an alternate reality where the the, there are two moons circling the earth that almost nobody notices and that there's a number of factors that seem to have changed history. The one character who drives the, who we first meet, who seems to drive the the main of the narrative is this woman who we find out is essentially a a professional assassin. And then the other character is a writer who has been enlisted to sort of pull off a literary hoax by rewriting a 17-year-old's novel to make it more um, uh, literary and promising. So for the first 400 pages, it alternates between like uh, uh, it's almost like if Murakami was trying to craft a Philip K. Dick novel uh, where you've got you know two separate main characters whose storylines encircle each other and there's also a lot of really wonderful almost Melvillian um, stuff about writing on the half of the one character and in addition the thing that I love so much about Murakami which is so much of his books are about solitude 
that it was almost like taking a vacation for me. Like you would read a chapter where you'd have like the most minor of plot elements and then the rest of it is how they live their life in their apartment and what they're eating and what they're reading and what they're thinking about. And it, it almost seems like it wouldn't work. And yet it really was like, oh my God, these people are so alone and you're alone with them. And it was like, to me, it was like a vacation. You know, it really was. Then in the next 400 pages, after everything, you know, there, you realize how the assassin and the writer's storylines come together because the novel that the writer is rewriting is actually a true story that this 17-year-old has written about this cult that she belonged to and essentially the mystical figures running it. And then the female assassin, her big job is to kill off the head of the cult, who it turns out is the father of the girl writing the book. And you're like, okay, this is not going to get any better and that so true it becomes so much worse it's like he he published it in three separate novels and i really think by the time he finished the second one he's like i really don't want to write this anymore i mean it is if you ever want to have something that makes the last episode of lost seem like fucking james joyce's ulysses definitely read (laughs) 1q84 because he just he gets so bored and so lazy and the character's quote unquote win by essentially being passive like it's 300 pages uh, you're trapped in the rooms with these characters that essentially they you know all the rest of the plot drops away everything that was introduced that you assumed is building to something just falls apart it's like all mealy mouth destiny and uh, oh it is so it is so bad it is so bad What's terrible is you're saying that I'm pretty much as soon as you start to tell me why it was terrible in the end, that made me more interested to read it. <laughs> it's totally my perverse thing where I'm like, you I'm are, fa- I'm no, I'm fascinated by things that don't work. Does that make oh, sense? Yes, 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 absolutely. And believe me, if there was a shorter way that you could read it and find out why it didn't work, and who knows, I, enough other reviews are like, oh, this was fine, this was really good. Some people who I really respect were like, this was great, but but there were a whole bunch of other people who were like, this is bullshit. And okay, I, I haven't read anything by him apart from the wind up. Birds Chronicle. Yes, is that is the way the Bird Chronicle, like yeah. the, the, the famous one. The, 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 yes, yeah, that's famous it. one. Yeah, that's that's it for what I've read from him. Well, uh, which uh, I uh, read and adored. Yeah. No, I was going to say like I read and I liked it. I wouldn't even mm-hmm. say I adored it. Am I just going to mm. completely be turned off by this book? Am I going to? Just, is this going to be too cold for me? Uh, you know, if you didn't love Wind Up Bird Chronicles, I think it would be really hard to see how you could really love this in a way because because to me Wind Up Bird Chronicle ha- is, is almost Lynchian in terms of at a certain point it very much adopts a the dreamlike narrative aspects sort of come front and center and you're either sort of on the bus or you're not mm-hmm. if you know what I mean and 1Q84 what's problematic is to me, at least once the dreamlike stuff comes to the front, it still continues to follow its own logic. What's frustrating about 1Q84 is by the time everything else gets pushed up to the front, um, it then no longer bothers to follow its own imperative. It's like everything seems to happen for a reason that nobody... Ex- you know, it's kind of like if you were watching Star Wars and the Death Star blew itself up. 
You know what I mean? Like it was like once they flew out of the Millennium Falcon and they went back to the Rebel planet, they just all kind of like hung out and then they drank some tea and then they went to their separate rooms and then they listened to some jazz records. And meanwhile, they had a sense that the Death Star was aligning itself on the planet and they were supposed to get in there, but they kept getting messages from Obi-Wan Kenobi to like hang out and listen to jazz records some more <laughs> and do push-ups. And then so they you're, do you're honestly you're honestly suggesting like the best of Star Wars ever. <laughs> oh, Graham. Such a contrarian. No, but really, come on. Even as you're saying this, it's part of you now thinking, I totally would have enjoyed that film. <laughs> you probably would have. No, but, but would, would you not have? I would have if they had done it right. Well, if they'd done it right. Like, let's put it this way. If they had done it and Star Wars had still kept to its running time, I would have loved that, actually, in a way. I think if they had done it where there was another four hours, you know, where it was four hours long and it's two hours of them hanging out on Hoth listening to jazz records and sipping tea, <laughs> I think you would lose it. That's, I that's really the was fear itself version of Star Wars. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It, it the, this is Murakami is very much it's it's the fear itself version of a Murakami novel, in that nothing comes together. It's it all falls apart, and the only real sense of relief that you get is that you do not have to read interviews with him. Going, I think I nailed it. I you know, I I'm totally gonna add this to my library list. I hate to tell you, <laughs> part part of me is part of it is because. Like 900 pages is a really long novel, but I also know that because you're like, well, it just keeps getting worse, that if I don't like it early on, I can just abandon it. Totally, totally. Do you know what I mean? I I won't be reading thinking, well, it's all going to come together. I can just be like, this is doing nothing for me. I can quit. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You're like, well, I'm not taking it. It's not going to get any better from this. But yeah, definitely. You know, I like I said, first 400 pages or so, I was so down with. And then the rest of it was just a, a rude, rude awakening. So, yeah, so those are my three books of which I can talk knowledgeably about. Talking of things I got out of the library, have you heard of a book called Remarkable Reads? No. Remarkable Reads is uh, a collection of, I want to say, like 30 essays of writers talking about the most blank book that they have ever read. So the most exciting book, the most frustrating yes. book, the most whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's actually a really enjoyable little anthology. Right I, I, right. I skipped through that one happily this week. Because <laughs> it's, it's short essays, so you can pretty much be mm-hmm. like, oh, it's five pages. Do you know what I mean? Right, right. I, I'm yeah, waiting we... for my toast to finish. Five pages. Right. I adored uh, Horror 100 Best Books for that very same reason. I mean, obviously, it's very focused on its horror novelists writing about horror novels that inspired them. So short essays, but it's it's fantastic. And it's great for some of the stuff because they line it all up. Kim Newman, who wrote uh, Anno Dracula, is one of the co-editors of it. Um, and they did a great job of having people write about Dracula or Varney the Vampire. But you also get more and more people going and picking some really odd choices for horror novels. Yeah. You know, um, Ian Banks's The Wasp Factory got picked by somebody, and I was so glad that I ended up reading that as a result. But yeah, those sorts of short essays where people talk about what inspired them, those are, you can just, those that's like popcorn. You know? Yeah, you yeah, just... so you should read Remarkable Reads. If you can get it out of the, the San Francisco Library, you should pick it up. It, it's, I... it's got some really nice essays. It's got some, like, really dull essays in it as well, but that's what happens with that sort of book. But there, there's right. enough good ones to make it worthwhile. Make it worthwhile. That sounds great. Uh, David Brothers also asks, same question, but replace book with music album. 
Mm. Uh, I think you you should <laughs> you should, should start with that. Uh, the last really good, the last I, not true. The last music album I bought as an album, as opposed to a collection of you know, I'll buy a couple of songs from an album was the mm-hmm. Johnny album, which is the lead singer of. Gorky Psychotic Monkey and Norman Blake from Teenage Fan Club doing a retro like 60s surf band type album which is actually re- really fun mm-hmm. um, uh, but the last one that blew me away everyone knows is the Camille album the, the last Camille album which I still think is just album of last year just everyone should bow down and worship her yeah I should I should definitely try and pick that up I don't, I don't it's spectacular. So yeah, what was the last album? What was the last album you got or loved or whatever? Yeah, it's tough because I basically ended up jumping to. Um, yeah, this isn't going to tell me. I I when I was revising, I, I spent a lot of time listening to Pandora and a lot of time listening to uh, instrumental stuff on mm-hmm. Pandora. Um, so for the most part, I have not really bought a ton. Let me see if I can get to my little player here. Um, That said, uh, God damn it, it's going to take a while. I picked up what I did end up falling in love with, and I think is a remarkable album, is um, oh, God damn it. It is loading, and it is loading (laughs) so damn slow. Um, Rice Boy Sleeps by uh, Jonesy, Jonesy, you know the uh, the lead singer of uh, Sugar Rose. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, this is actually the album that came came back came out a couple of years ago, I, I guess, because he's got a new one out this year that I think is music from the soundtrack for We Bought a Zoo. Um, it's just, I I think it's absolutely uh, sublime and God. I, I just made such a hilarious oh face when you said we got a zoo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because everyone's like, nobody wants to hear that. Like nobody yeah, wants like, really? to. Okay, then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, unfortunately, this motherfucking interface will not let me see my actual albums here. I don't know why. It's like, hey, Rice, remember Rice when we Sleeps used... came out in two thousand nine? Ah, thank you. Thank According you to much. Wikipedia. Yeah, um, it's really it's it's you know very much if you if people like Sigurosa's and Sigurosa's first album it's you know very much like you know that sort of lovely sublime cooing you know that mm. he does. Um, okay, uh, I very much liked the album uh, Adventures in New Orleans by Dr. Michael White. That was another album that I ended up buying. That is. Um, him sort of playing a variety of New Orleans influenced jazz uh, and what's great is he actually starts with a couple of um, I want to say West African tunes um, that he plays that you can hear the influence into what ends up becoming that sort of traditional Basin Street blues um, the other album that I have to say that I adored and I'm going to screw up the name is uh, Roz Siglet Alice Suslet. <laughs> By, wow. Yeah, it's it's by the Venetian Snares, and it is an extraordinary album that mixes like um, sort of a cross between film soundtracks, drum and bass, and Eastern European folk music. 
Um, so it it's just it's it's parts of it are just so lush and gorgeous. There's this one piece that um, that I can't that I couldn't pronounce. I would pronounce even worse than this. Uh, that is, I want to say like maybe a, a Czech title or something like that. That is just gorgeous, like violins and things, and it's fantastic. I I played that stuff until my ears bled. So. I I am going to ask you to email that title to me because that sounds really good. Yeah, I I will send it your way. Um, you know, if I can figure out a way, yeah, <laughs> if I can figure out a way to properly you just know, type it, copy and paste. Come on. Yeah, exactly. How hard can it be? Well, considering it took me ten <laughs> minutes to get my Amazon Cloud Player open so I could tell you about it. That's uh, the problem. Yeah. The cloud players. Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I'm still I'm still very cynical <laughs> about cloud players. Oh, uh, moving on because I was like, these are going to be quick questions, and I think we spent like twenty questions. On this I know, I know. Really I'm so sorry. One. I will. No, 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 no. Really, I'm I'm as bad as you are. Um, Adam Nave asked, "Who's your favorite inker?" Ooh, that's rough. Um, because I have to say, I was thinking about that. Was a question where it's one of those I don't know how to answer. I'm going to go with a snap judgment and say Joe Sinnott just because in no small part because he as far as i can tell catalyzed or helped catalyze jack kirby's work i think you and i have talked about this. yeah yeah when he comes on fantastic four there's a noticeable shift really quickly yeah and for whatever reason whether it's that or other things that were promised kirby or he makes some other breakthrough with his work suddenly you see kirby at his kirby as kirby is Kirby exactly it, it's like the last little piece that comes into focus and it's interesting because Kirby then goes on to do the majority of his work with without Sinnott you know um, but I will always adore Sinnott for that reason um, how, how about you? I'm going to say Kevin Nolan oh Cause, god cause Kevin he, Nolan's great yeah he's got such a strong presence when he inks like he's, he's overwhelming yeah. Kevin Nolan will ink someone and it will look like Kevin Nolan Right. Um, yeah, but I kind of love arguably, that. Arguably, yeah. I mean, it's tough because I, I have that same feeling like, oh, yeah, I adore him. So, you know, but but it is tough because it, it almost does kind of completely wash out who the who the person is. But, but there was a period, especially in the late 90s, where he was inking less people light kind of generic artists. Like, he did a long yes. thing with Dan Jurgens, and the work mm-hmm. almost looked so so much better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you were like, this is great. Whoever had the great idea to bear Kevin Nolan and Dan Jorgens. Good right. choice. Or he well, did... Didn't he also do uh, Jog, Bog... Jog Bogdanovich um, on, like, Superman? Or or is that what you're thinking of? Is it Jorgens on Superman? He definitely did Jorgens on Superman. I don't know if he did... Are you thinking of John Bodden... Bognagrove? Bognagrove? <laughs> Me? I'm going to have to look up this guy's name. Sorry. No, 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 it's, it's, I'm now like, it's not, that's not the right name, but I can't think of what the right name is. Sorry, I totally screwed it. No, you're like, damn it, Jeff, you're thinking of Peter Bogdanovich, who, like, directed, like, the last picture show. I was like, you're thinking of, um, uh, John Malkovich. Um... <laughs> John Malkovich. I remember fondly his run on Adventures of Superman. No, he was the artist on Louis Simmonson's. John Simmons- John, yeah, him, Bogdanov, that guy. yeah. Yeah, John uh, Bon Jovi. Yeah, John Bon Jovi did a spectacular run. Remember, he had Superman dead or alive. That was really. <laughs> uh, okay, Adam Nave also asks a fourth world movie. Who makes it and stars in it? And I'm I have no idea, so I'm bowing out of this one. 
Ah, uh, Jesus. That, I don't that know, breaks you my know? brain. I, I really... Yeah, it does. It does. It seems almost impossible. Um, you know, I'm going to... I'm just going to do the poor man's punt and say Peter Jackson, you know? Like, I think... I think, you know, King Kong aside, like, Jackson sort of, I think, fucked King Kong by trying to blow it out too much you know he needs at this point he needs epic material that he can sort of flesh out and make human and I think he could actually do a great job with the fourth world in that regard and for that reason it's really funny you said after I bowed out of it you said that and I was like no <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I could see him have, I could see him trying to make the fourth world like self-consciously epic if that makes sense what works with the fourth world for me at least Kirby's Fourth Worlds, is that it's trying to be contemporaneous. Right. It, it's doing it a very Kirby way, which means it ultimately fails. But it's trying to engage in the real world and the modern world. And I think if I think Jackson's failing since he became Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson, has right. been I am making this timeless epic. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the, the joke about Neil Gaiman, I am a teller of tales. It's the, it's the same thing. <laughs> Yeah, I, you there's know, there's no there's no pop or pulp to his work anymore. Like he did King Kong, and it, King Kong should have been pulpier and popier. And it's that I'm making epic King Kong, and that yeah. no one wants to see epic King Kong. Well, you know, actually, the problem with Epic King Kong was there were the epic parts, but then he was also like, I'm going to throw in the the pulpy parts, and they they didn't have a place by that point you know like the scenes of them running around on on monster isle or whatever getting devoured by creepy ass you know wormy things was kind of was really ooky but it also was like it, it was like too much and it had it, it had a flat effect so this is my thing is, is I think that the reason why the fourth world would work for Jackson is that Kirby always has a sense of humanity to his stuff and I think if there's the humanity in the work Jackson can center himself on it you know I, um, I, I would I'd love to see it happen because I'd love to see you be proved right if that makes sense but I, I, right. I just get really nervous that he would be like it's a timeless epic about a father <laughs> and his son and I'm making it into seven hours worth of movie well, but see, how would you do it otherwise? You know what I mean? Like, well, I'd, I'd, it's... I'd want to see something that really was as throwaway as Kirby, if that makes sense. Mm. I'd, I'd want, so, like, to, I'd want to see something mm. that was like two hours and just blew your fucking mind. Yeah, but see, it's see, this is my problem with the Fourth World is it, it would be. There's so many movie makers today now who seem to have no idea how to make that film anymore. You know, like no, 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 totally. at... I mean, the, the problem with what I'm describing is you get someone who makes Tron Legacy, right? I like, yeah, well, but Tron Legacy. But the flip side of it is you get people who like have made, you know, the last forever number of Marvel films, which I've thought were like overstuffed to the point of being boring, you know, or you get the Wachowski brothers who are themselves just boring, you know, now. And I, I, and I just, I don't know where you would have to shift it unless you want to downgrade dramatically and go, yeah, it's, uh, it's 90 minutes and it's done by Mario Bava and it's in 1968. Sure. Exactly. Give me that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'd rather have that than Peter Jackson. Mm, 
interesting. I, I, I would I, rather have Peter Jackson than Zack Snyder or Sam Raimi. Oh God, or yes, definitely. I, Matthew you know, Vaughn or Chris Nolan or the Wachowski brothers. I just, to me, it's very much like if you're looking at, and I'm sure someone's going to be like, "Whoa, you fool!" Speaking of which, I have to say, I went and saw Haywire in the movie theater. And it drives me crazy. Like, I don't know what is wrong with me that I go to see a movie that is all but, like, it It even says uh, it, on the movie poster, a film by Steven Soderbergh for Jeff Lester. You know what I mean? Like, it actually says that. And then I go in and sit down. And I'm like, well, this should be pretty good. Me and Steve need to talk a little more clearly about what it is I want in a movie because the scenes of Gina Carano kicking ass were were great and the rest of the movie was just utter an utter tepid turd. I could not believe how bad it was. And everyone's like, this is so great. I mean, I swear to God, opening weekend, most of the people on Twitter, I was like, they're like, saw it, loved it, seen it again. I'm like, wow, this is fantastic. I've got to see this motherfucker before it leaves the movie theaters. And I went in Monday and it's not even like I was expecting like the world's greatest movie. It was just like, okay, this will be an entertaining movie. And it's so barely cleared that hurdle. Oh my God. Oh my God. I do not know what is wrong with Steven Soderbergh. What's hilarious is after she said Steven Soderbergh I was like I want to see him make a fourth world movie <laughs> I do I want to see Steven Soderbergh in Ocean's Eleven mode <laughs> make a fourth world movie you know I, and I want to see George Clooney as Dark Side. and I want to see Justin would... Bieber as Orion <laughs> See, now you're on fire. Go on. <laughs> no, I've reached the end. Sorry. It no, so... you haven't. No, no. no. no you've left oh, out oh, Matt oh, Damon. Wait, no. Lady Gaga is the sad. Oh, good. And who's Matt Damon? Granny Goodness? <laughs> no, Ed Asner is Granny Goodness. Come on. Um, okay, but, ooh, nice. No, but you've seen the cartoons, right? Ed Asner is the voice of Granny Goodness in the Bruce Timm cartoons. Oh, no, I didn't know that at all. That's hilarious. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, God love everyone involved in that decision. Especially Ed Asner for doing it. Oh, yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, That's yeah. spectacular. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think they actually gave him the scripts and he didn't say it was a woman? He's called Grandfather Goodness. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They just sort of changed And then he watches the him. cartoon and he's like, what the fuck? Ed Asner's game, man. Don't, I have no, Ed Asner, that's, I'm sure is like, he's he's like, granny goodness can't wait. Uh, Gene Simmons can be high father. <laughs> you are just you're just just trying to break everyone's brain now, aren't you? I, I, Adam Navos, one last question: Why does Jeff not adore Doctor Who, and can we fix that? <sighs> the answer I is I don't know. And <laughs> as I've know. already shown tonight through email, please just watch the Stephen Moffat episodes. Yeah, just start just start with the, the most recent season on Netflix. You don't have to like if you like it, sure go back. Although you will be disappointed, but if you like Sherlock, which you do, which I do, yeah, then watch like the first couple of Stephen Moffat episodes, and just be like, I'm, you know, yes or no. (laughs) All right, I will consider it. I I do say that once you put it that way in the email, I was like, I will consider it. Perversely enough, I was like, "Yeah, I will totally watch Jekyll now." You know what I mean? So, I said, no, you see, I, I made that mistake. There. Yes, everyone is saying that. They're like, "Yes, it sounds like it's one Q eighty four. You will certainly enjoy a third of that." 
warning. Exactly. Will not yeah. be the middle or le- ending third. So, yes, yeah. you you will certainly watch that. <laughs> yeah, really. It's Jekyll. Jekyll's a, a hideous letdown. Yeah, that's that's what I heard. Was it disintegrated pretty badly as it went on? One of my favorite questions from this entire round of questioning. Julian Lewis or Louis Blair, I'm not sure which it is, please let me know, says, what's the real deal with Fraction? You know what I mean. And it's the next perfect because I swear to God, I don't. I really don't know what that question means. And the inclusion of that line makes me even more confused. I, I love it. I actually love that question too because of the you know what I mean. Exactly. Like, you know like, what I mean. What, what does that mean? I really don't. I, I have, that line confuses me more than the question itself. Honestly, that's what I love about the question. Is I feel like it's specifically designed like that Star Trek episode where Spock has to like say illogical things to the attractive female robots. Is that Mud's women? And he like he's like. Uh, he says things to them, and they're just like, "I don't understand." And, yeah, exactly. and then their head explodes. Right there, yeah, yeah, exactly. I really feel like he came up with the perfect question that would be just like, "What could cause maximum stammering from Graham?" Let me see. And he just ran down a list, whittled it down to that one, paired it to the perfect. It's perfect. Um, so it's the perfect. real evil fraction uh, is that he is trying to make a living. The end. I don't know. What's the real deal with Fraction, Jeff? Dude, I, I, I don't know. I, I think that... Um, yes. Yeah, actually, I think that it is a variety of things. I think, uh, you know, to play this game of... Uh, what, what what was the Understanding Comics game with Carl that, that you know, where the <laughs> narrative just gets longer and longer as you insert more panels in between the first... <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. So it's like Matt Fraction is a comics writer who has been heavily praised, who feels the weight of obligation on his shoulders, who is trying to make a living. Yes, uh, who is trying to make a living at one of the worst times in the comics industry. The end. You know, Jeff, I think Julian knows us better than we know ourselves. He says that we know what he means, and we should just face up. Matt Fraction is an alien. Oh, I'm sure you were going to say is actually pretty good in bed. Is that is because I thought that was. <laughs> I don't know. What's the real it's deal? It's kind of like alien too. That that's yeah. That's the thing. Is like what's the real deal? You know, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, exactly. Stellar in the sack, kind of like narcissist. I I, I think he's probably all right in the sack. I think, yeah, probably. But I think maybe you might have to get needy. out of his head a little bit. Yeah. I think, I think you could over-intellectualize it, but I think otherwise, yeah. I think he'd probably be okay. You know, I think as long as you get him in a room where there's not a stereo, you'll be all right. You know or what I mean? mirror. Well, a mirror would be tough, too, but I just think, get him away from the, like, because he's going to, like, try and put on some, like, mood music, and then you're fucked. Like, and... I'm not in the way. Unfucked. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be like, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. This, town, this tune's almost just about right. Okay, hold on. I've got this mixtape. No, no, no. Honestly, not- honestly, just give me a flashback to, like, me in college. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carmack O'Connor asks, does Prophet suggest... <laughs> Are you stuck in that image? I am. <laughs> awesome. There's actually a complete story that will go with that that I will not tell you in this podcast. Damn it. I was really hoping that it actually <laughs> might, all but I explains might tell you itself. Afterwards. But yeah. 
Okay, thank but you. But I'm not going to tell you while we're recording. Cormac O'Connor asks, does Prophet suggest there is an actual US market for heavy metal-esque arty sci-fi if done well? What comes next? No, it doesn't. Yeah, I have to say Because like, no. Prophet is not going to sell that well. It's got the comic blogosphere on fire and its sales figures are going to come in and they're going to be much lower than anyone wanted. Or at least well, they will be within three issues. So, so, yeah, I was about to say, supposedly it sold out. We'll see if it continues to do so. Um, I think that there's a market for anything. I really do. I mean, and the, excuse me, the best case scenario to this, I think, is Chew, you know, which I think is an enjoyable comic. I think John Lehman is an entertaining creator. I don't necessarily think that like it's like the be-all and end-all, but it is what it is, and it has enough charisma at the on that thing that it is able to survive in the marketplace. Now that being said, I know that, you know, um when I talked to Layman super super briefly, I think it, I want to say at the last WonderCon, so maybe a year ago, um he was like, "Yeah, I'm I still haven't seen any money from these." You know what I mean? Like and that at that point he was like three or four trades in at that point. So I, you know, the first, the money was actually just starting to come in from, from the trades. So, well, I mean, that, my... that's, get back to Fraction, that's exactly what he said about Casanova. Mm-hmm. But like, right. even after the Marvel reprints of Casanova, he hasn't seen any money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, my personal feeling is, is that there is a market for anything. It's just that market is not especially big. And I think that is going to be the case with profit. I think that's going to be the case for a lot of things. I, you know, I think what people need to try and sit down and do is, um, and this may bore somebody, uh, like Graham is like, is cracking the walking dead code. You know what I mean? What does walking dead say about comics like you know in the sense of because that is a a demonstrable and measurable success I think you know far more so than like a bunch of people speaking very well of profit sure but at the same time was Walking Dead that level of success before it optioned for TV and then got on TV like I'd Um, I'd love to I'd love to see the financials before television I would I honestly think yes I think I think it went from being a str- like a, a strong hit in the comic uh, marketplace to being an enormous hit in the comic marketplace. But I need, I really think you need to figure out why and how and what. You know what I mean? Because I don't think it's just a matter of, oh, it's all zombies or it's all the the talent that's involved or the level of shipping consistency. But there's some you know, conglomerate of a whole bunch of things. Yeah. I think make I, it a big success and it, it might just be one of those things that will never be repeated as well. Right. It might just be one right. of those things that happened. <laughs> do you know what I mean? And yeah. everyone's like, How do we do this again? And there's no way of doing it again. Sure, exactly. I mean, in that sense, I kind of feel like there is that thing. Like, I, as much as I really did love that first issue of Profit, and I'm fascinated by the way people responded so positively to it, um, I still honestly feel like, yeah, we have to figure out, like, what happened with, say, Scott Pilgrim and Walking Dead and how replicable are they inside the marketplace, outside the marketplace, you know, or are they just flukes? I want to believe that there's more than just flukes there. I just wonder if somehow it's 
it's almost like when books hit back in like 1988 or something like that um you know the the classic watchman dark knight situation and then you just didn't have anything more to offer people like mm-hmm. that yeah. like maybe it will be another generation before we get things in place whatever those mysterious x elements are that will allow for things like Pilgrim and Walking Dead popping up more frequently, even if they're nothing like Scott Pilgrim and Walking Dead. No, I, I know, I know entirely what you mean. Uh, did yeah. you see Warren Ellis's post yesterday in his blog about the new Branky Bond book? Uh, no. It's. I mean, it's not. There's not a lot there. He's basically saying, "I got a copy of this book. It's very good." Um, but he raises the possibility of basically, if this book isn't a hit, then the direct market is totally broken. Like, if we cannot support a new Brian K. Vaughan book, mm-hmm. if that cannot be a long-form, not even success, but, like, basically afford to exist. Uh, and that, that sort of took me back just because I was... I don't think I'd ever actually considered that was a possibility, if that makes sense. I, I kind of do. I kind of consider I was, it I was, a possibility. I, mm-hmm. I get it. No, I do now. But before I right. said that, I was like, it, you know, it's not going to be number one. But mm-hmm. it will make enough money to survive. Right. And and the level, the question and level of what that is, you know, it's sort of like the same way that, that you and I have teased Hibs for saying that like, oh, Marvel's broken and the chickens are going to come home to roost any day now for like six years. I feel like Warren Ellis has been saying that about the direct marketplace for about that long, if not longer. So for me, I mean, I do remember the fact that Ex Machina finished with a whimper, you know, not a bang and didn't was didn't I don't think anyone was really talking about it. And I think in some ways that has everything to do with delays in publication and uh, other factors. But I don't I don't think and this is a shame for a guy who is as phenomenally huge in the marketplace and is well regarded. Um, I don't think that I don't think Brian K. Vaughn is a surefire hit of uh, you know what I mean. Like I don't think. No, I, I, I totally know what you mean. Uh, you know? I don't. I don't know. It's weird because even if you go back to I think Why the Last Man, I don't think Why the Last Man sold in the direct market especially strongly. Yeah, the singles I don't think did, but I think the, the collections paperbacks. Fixed. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, and I think that's honestly where Vaughn's strength is. If he sticks to it, is he can craft something that will keep you coming back for the trades uh, in a very, very successful way. So, yeah, I'll be curious to see if he pulls it off. I'm in some ways. The, the reason why I am most excited about it is most of the stuff that I've heard Vaughn talk about it sound it, it does not sound like the typical Vaughn book to me yes you know no, I mean? it, sounds, it sounds very different and that I think is, is to me the biggest plus in it but yeah I don't know I just I don't necessarily buy that I wouldn't buy that about honestly I think you could say that maybe about a few dudes you know like Alan Moore Neil Gaiman uh, you know, I'm trying to think who else, who could like step out and sell bajillions of copies. You know, but other than that, everyone, I don't. Yeah, I don't... but, but th- this is a bajillions of copies argument. This is a selling enough to keep it going argument. Yeah, but who sets who sets those who sets that mark? 
You know what I mean? Like we're talking for about an, for an image book, I guess the creator. Yeah, exactly. So like if the creator's like, well, it's not worth my while to do it if I don't see enough return after blank period of time. You know, like is Brian K. Vaughn committed to like going the Chu route where Chu was you know, a much larger success than anyone suspected and he wasn't looking at money until like four trades and 28 issues had been out, you know, and that's the writer. Admittedly, the artist had his nut covered. Like, is Vaughn actually going to hang out for that? I mean, there's been a reason why a lot of guys are reluctant to step in and do image books. There's all reasons why dudes like Ellis have only done, you know, kind of a handful, you know? Um... <laughs> And, and yet, on the other hand, have more issues of Astonishing X-Men under their belt than they do of Fell, you know? So, I I don't know. I it, To me, it's kind of like, no one's really going to know what those numbers are. I mean, apart from some diamond estimates, but we don't necessarily know where Brian, Vaughn, Brian K. Vaughn's sweet spot is, you know? is he, is I, Unless he said it in an article, interview. Is he like, I'm happy to start off with like you know, walking dead number one numbers of like 18,000 and work my way up to, you know, 26,000 over the course of like two years or three years, you know, or is he thinking that if he doesn't get 25,000 copies to start with and that number holds firm, he's out of the marketplace, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, you know, I, I, I think that it's like, you really could have picked a more solid bellwether I think than than a Brian K. Vaughn image book as to the state of the direct market oh fine <laughs> Ezra Bogner asks and I think this is I really want to know your answer to this question what is the gateway Kirby book I want to like him but can't seem to get into it shit I don't know I don't know. No, this is serious because this is a big thing for me. Like, I, as you know, just a few weeks ago, I was advocating for Commandy, you know, which now DC's added another six issues into it. So there's the first 12 issues are available at 99 cents a pop on, on Comixology. And I'm. But you think that's a gateway book? Well, see, this is the problem. For me, yes, but the more I look at it, like I sat down and I flipped through it, I'm like, this is not going to sell people on Kirby. You know what I mean? Like, it's kind of... um... So, I I, I don't know. I want to hear your answer, and then maybe hopefully I can formulate stuff or at least figure out a way to steal your answer. But Uh, um... The fourth world stuff. Yeah. um... Uh, Or possibly the demon because the fourth world stuff and demon both take place in quote unquote contemporary times right. so you've got that grounding right that they have enough Kirby-esqueness so you get an idea of Kirby Kirby sensibility and also both have uh, Kirby pacing in that they all, all of them start with a splash page followed by a double splash page right um but there's enough traditional aspects to it especially the demon Mm-hmm. that you're not just thrown in there. I think Commandy is too Kirby. It's like Omak. I prefer Omak to the Demon, but I think the mm-hmm. Demon's better to start with. Yeah, I agree too. It's it's really hard for me. I mean, it would help in a way if we sort of knew what books Ezra had taken a run at. Um, I almost feel like... Because honestly, my answer is 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 so... It, 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 Kirby's been such a, a long-time figure in 
you know, my comics history. And the thing that's amazing to me is I actually didn't like Kirby. You know, I was reading comics in the 70s. He followed Englehart and I, you know, bought all those issues because I was a Marvel zombie. But I was like, I don't like these, you know. And my brothers actually were the ones who bought Devil Dinosaur and um, Machine Man. And I would pick up World's Greatest Comics and stuff like that, uh, which had Kirby reprints. And they were like a little too scary and like a little too dark and a little too heavy. Like I sort of preferred my Kirby very watered down. Mm -hmm. Um, So honestly, the thing for me is, is like, it's such a hard question for me to answer because I grew up disliking Kirby. And this is sort of the key for me realizing what a genius he was, is that I would read, I would return to his books without liking them. You know, it was like I would when I read my brother's like five issues of Devil Dinosaur and four issues of Machine Man. Like he's got that issue where um, of Machine Man where a a, a robot named Ten Four, you know, from the evil robot planet descends and is decided to take over. So it's Machine Man versus Ten Four, the evil alien Machine Man, essentially. And I, I mean, I cannot tell you how much I scoffed hopefully I literally did not do it in my brother's face but I probably did I was like this 10-4 like who would name an alien from another you know planet after like a bad CB trucking like I was just like this is stupid and it's out of touch and it's lame um and yet about the 15th time I read the comic book still scoffing I was like you know what I can't stop reading this you know? <laughs> I love 104 yeah. 104 well, is awesome yeah what's particularly funny is I've never read Machine Man oh, but really? I did this weekend just buy the entire run <gasps> oh wow cuz I saw it online for $10 oh my god that's great and I was like it's that period of Kirby that I love. I've never read any of these issues. I've read all the Ditko issues because they were reprinted in Britain. Yes. And yeah, the Kirby ones right. weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I've never read them. So 10-4 is just a hint of things to come for me. Yeah. Well, I'll be curious as to what you think. So so this is my this is my problem. Sometimes I do wonder if in a world of infinite choice, um, you have if the, people... The... Yeah, if people have the time to to have to come back to Kirby, exactly. Where where it's like given a number of things, like given an infinite number of things, I don't necessarily know if you'll come back to Kirby. But in a world before video games, where it was just a pile of comic books, what what I found fascinating was the number of times, or or like I said, the giant size Captain America number one, which was just a bunch of reprints of the tales to tales of suspense, eight page. Kirby stories, which were just like, Captain America has to fight, guys, go, you know? And I mean, it was like maybe two pages of introduction, and I just read it over and over and over again. So it's really hard for me to be like, I'm going to be able to tell you what the best into Kirby is. It's really fucking You know what it probably is? It's Mm. probably like middle period Fantastic Four. Yeah, see, this is kind of what I was thinking. And then go on to, like, Fourth World or something. Yeah, yeah. I think, honestly... something that's more familiar. And then you want to, like, pure Kirby. Exactly, exactly. It's like, read something like issues 40 through, like, 60 of Fantastic Four, where it's like, you get Galactus and the Inhumans uh, and 
so much amazing stuff just piled on top of one another uh, in such a short period of time. But you've got Stan Lee's very moderating, mellowing influence. Um, I think I think that would actually be a pretty good jumping off point. I agree. And then and then if that still doesn't take, I don't know. You know, I mean. It's, it's always weird. Sometimes these things are age. I remember thinking that I would never like R. Crumb ever and kind of being disappointed in my tastes for that. And then suddenly one day I read the right story and it also... You're like, I like Ruth Big Butts after all. <laughs> I do. Who knew? Yeah, exactly. So, God, I wish I wish that question was easier to answer. It, but, it's um, really, really hard. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, chances are I'd say try Kirby with Lee, first of all. And yeah. then if you're liking, if you're digging the ideas, mm-hmm. then go on to like, a, I would say like a new gods. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. To me, I mean, it's tough because I think the Thor stuff can be hard because of Coletta's inking and Stanley. It is, you know. Yeah, I, I think ultimately I'd say like Fantastic Four with Sinnet. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four Cause, with Because it's, it's the most attractive art. Yeah. In, yeah. To someone who is not a Kirby fan, I should say. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's the easiest way to sort of ease you into it. And then you can sort of start trying the more extreme stuff. Um, alternately, if you like, you know, just, again, just weird, like like looking at it almost like an alternative comic, like something like Devil Dinosaur, it's amazing how far that sort of stuff can go, you know, because that is even at its most abstract. It's like harder to even get hung up on like why it's supposedly 1978 and yet every uh, everybody in the street's still wearing hats you know um so that's what yeah. that's what marvel fashions were like for me okay <laughs> that's what 1978 was like damn it um, okay we're now moving on finally to savage critic questions and yes we have been doing this for an hour and we're only moving on savage critic questions all right we will we will pick okay, up let's, the pace let's, let's rush at them okay Yes. Yeah. Josh Taban asks, Mr. Lester, how much longer must the world wait for your strange tales of the Hoboden comic? <laughs> I want to say a while, but God help me. I was That question was so great. I was like, yeah, Hoboden, probably still a long while. But thank you for asking, Josh. I will definitely let everyone know. Uh, Aaron says, I was interested to hear what you guys thought of the original Herod the Duck run. I believe Graham was referenced that it's not his cup of tea before. I think I have. Uh, after you, after your discussion of the Defenders, I recently read through the Omnibus, and while I appreciated several storylines, especially Howard Run for President, and the always fantastic colon art, it mostly left me flat, including the endlessly annoying lisping of Window Wester. Is Howard the Duck just one of those things that is a product of his time and can't be truly appreciated today because his tricks are no longer novel? I think yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I would have done yeah. so much of its time that you... It's like... Have I given you this theory before about Watchmen? That it's really impossible for someone to come... If they've read modern superhero comics, go to Watchmen and truly appreciate what Watchmen was. Uh, yes. Because so much yeah, of it... You... And the same with Miracle Man. So much of it has been co-opted. Excuse me. Yes, absolutely. And I think the same just... is true of Howard the Duck. I, you know, I, you know, it's funny. I, when we were talking Defenders, I think we talked about, like, I, I did buy the Howard the Duck omnibus and then left the damn thing wrapped in its shrink wrap because suddenly I couldn't bring myself to break it open. But I should break it open and read it. My impression after reading the Defenders was that um, the Defenders might be, in some ways, Gerber's best book, arguably, because it kept him. 
it kind of kept him on a leash a little bit, you know? Like, he had to figure out ways to work his craziness in while telling superhero comics, you know? Howard the Duck, I, I'm i willing to bet the first five or six issues hold up really well. Um, some of them are self-contained. There's, of course, a number of things where he's sort of poking fun at various Marvel comic con- conventions. Uh, and... I'm trying to think when him running for president, I think might run right up to the deadline, the dreaded deadline doom issue. That was 16. Let me think. Howard has his nervous breakdown in, maybe that's wrong. Maybe, maybe it's earlier than, maybe it's issue nine is the deadline issue. It's after he fights the beaver or before he fights the beaver. And then he has his nervous breakdown. And I think around the time of his nervous breakdown, things are when, um, to me, Gerber becomes incredibly untethered. Um, yeah, that series, that series completely falls apart. Yeah, falls apart in an interesting. Like we're getting back to me being interested in failures. Uh, right, but it falls apart in a really interesting way to look mm-hmm. back on now. But I can't imagine reading that issue to issue. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, I'd just be like, at some point, I'd be like, this is going nowhere, and this guy is losing his shit. And I, I right. feel guilty for reading it. Well, you know, when you're, when I read it, I was incredibly young, and so part of me was like, okay, I'm clearly missing a lot of this. <laughs> a lot of this is going over my head, and I didn't necessarily like it. And God help me, like by the time you get to like the Star Wars parody issue, I was like, hooray! You know what I mean? Like it's funny again. And honestly, I, looking back on it. Feel that Gerber is that that stuff isn't going to age well for a variety of reasons. Part of it being, you know, he, I don't know. I would have to, I would have to reread it. But I'm almost willing to bet that it fails. But I feel like it fails for its own reasons. I, I did think that actually Aaron's take about uh, its absolute seventiness was a hindrance. Um, as most of what I love about Marvel seventies output is that they're of a specific time and place. Um, <clears throat> Gerber is to me working in such a very personal thing like he's om- I don't know how to describe it like to me it's almost like a stand up co- comic you know it's not so much that he reflected the seven you know it's not you don't see the 70s you see the 70s through Steve Gerber so really what you're seeing is Steve Gerber you know and the things that he's interested in are a weird inversion of, I guess, the heroic ideal, you know, in, you, instead of people being celebrated for their extraordinariness, he is absolutely apoplectic that people are not being celebrated for their ordinariness. Mm-hmm. And so Howard's most heroic trait, as far as Gerber is con- is concerned, is his absolute ordinariness and he is willing to protect that and his individuality sort of when it's threatened but in a lot of ways Gerber takes a lot of pleasure in having Howard act in anti-heroic ways which would be fine if it wasn't for the fact that um, there's there's more than a touch of the, the narcissist to Gerber's work, I feel, in that he feels that, like, yeah, I'm absolutely an ordinary guy, and that's why I'm being shit on, because the world is crazy, and nobody can appreciate 
good ordinary people anymore not even good people just ordinary people you know and I think it serves him well when it comes to writing about cults which are his ongoing fascination where people so loathe themselves that they're willing to give themselves over to a cult you know like I don't remember is it Sufi I think S-O-O-F-I the the guys with the with the giant washing machines that people jump into to become clean um in Howard the Duck which really is just an offshoot of the Bozo stuff that was going on in the Defenders in a way you know it's it's not it's not at all subtle it's it's but it's absolutely where Gerber strikes his stuff strikes I think it's best blow but honestly a lot of it is more stuff that just dates because of the idea of like it's like someone saying boobs you know like it's I don't know you know when it's <laughs> in a time when you couldn't you I, know? I, like, I was I was so with you until you said that well, like for I, I, I guess because I'm sadly jumping topic, I started thinking of Doctor Bong. Like, there's a lot of people who thought that Doctor Bong was hilarious. Oh yeah, Doctor. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And to me, it's like it's Doctor Bong's not that hilarious. It to, uh, unfortunately, maybe I don't have much of a sense of humor. But the idea is that that you know. I remember college age guys like thinking that that was the funniest fucking thing in the world that there was a supervillain called Dr. Bong because it's a bong get it you know so I think a lot of the humor ages badly uh, the stuff that's really fascinating about Gerber it's not it's not so much that I think that everyone ripped off those moves I think that unfortunately what Gerber was trying to say was so angry and inchoate and 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 the and the mark of an individual um that that it's almost it's more inspirational as in the abstract than in the in the specificity of it you know what i mean yeah but i mean i think there's lots of formalistic innovation in Howard mm-hmm. the Duck, and especially in the, the dreaded deadline to him issue. Oh, yeah. yeah that, absolutely. that is, that would be much more impactful in its time as opposed to now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and even the fact that Howard the Duck is, Howard the Duck is Steve Gerber's book. I mean, mm-hmm. when Gerber wasn't writing it, it was a, a shade of its former self. It, it was, it was at best an occasionally funny book. But when Gerber's writing it, even though I don't particularly love it, mm-hmm. you can tell that it's his book and that he's pouring himself into it 100%. Exactly. And I think that level of ownership over a character for a Marvel or DC book mm-hmm. was also innovative. And these right. days you don't get that because you these days you expect a, a writer to come onto a character and put his stamp on it. Mm, like you, you expect that level of ownership, and I think that really comes from Gerber's Howard the Duck, because even in, even in his Defenders, it's very clearly him. Mm-hmm. But he's still trying to play by the rules. He might be trying to subvert the rules slightly, but he's right. still trying to write the same Hulk that appears in whatever Len Wein's Hulk that month. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Whereas Howard yeah. the Duck was him being like, "This is mine. This yeah. comic is me." in a way that just other mainstream books didn't do and these days all mainstream books do you don't talk about yeah. the Avengers these days you talk about Bendis' Avengers right right that's a good point that is that's a very good point although let me put it 
let me let me take that point and swerve off of it. In that sense, I think what's amazing about Howard the Duck is that character existed sort of in the Marvel Universe at a time where there was barely uh, an in, an alternative indie market. You know, there was the, the underground comics, but it's probably not a surprise that like one of the first, you know, indie books is was called Quack, you know, and had Frank Bruner doing a very Howard the Duckish type character. Yeah. I, I would say that that the that there's only one book that really took all of Gerber's Howard the Duck moves and and took all of those tricks and rendered them non-novel, and that would be uh, Dave Sims Cerebus. You know, Dave Sims Cerebus does everything that you would like to see Gerber do with Howard the Duck that he never got to do, but clearly took a lot of its inspiration from. Like, like you said, the the formalistic novelty that you see in that in that deadline issue, for example, cl- becomes almost part part and parcel of what. Dave Sim ends up doing with Cerebus and the way in which Gerber and Howard are the world's weirdest mirror images of each other also I think ends up becoming a centerpiece for uh, Sim Cerebus so I sort of think and it you know uh, there's probably a lot of people who haven't read Sim Cerebus who are still underwhelmed by Howard the Duck but I do think that, that if nothing else you see someone take everything that Gerber was doing and take it to its most um, extreme end, I guess. And so, in a way, yeah, there is a way that... But for me, I don't feel like Bendis ever puts a stamp on himself. I don't feel like there's anything that you can... Conclusion you can draw from Bendis out of Avengers to me, other than, you know, that's a guy who feels completely comfortable typing until he hits his page count. You know what I mean? Like, you think that... (laughs) Do you, I, I don't feel that I don't feel that Bendis I never have a feeling that Bendis like um, hates the government you know what I mean or loves the government you know despite the fact that so much of Avengers circles around government stuff you know what I mean like no but I get this impression that's I get the impression that Bendis thinks that government is important if that makes sense mm. interesting but I, I guess very evil, I suppose. Do you mean or just no, necessary? I'm not, I, I, sometimes I, it's I, good, sometimes it's evil. No, you see, what's interesting was I was going to say I'm not sure it's necessary in his view. Mm. Um, but when I talked about Bendis's Avengers, I was using it more as an example of I think creators now empower themselves and and are empowered by both publishers and fans to interpret characters or reinterpret characters as they see fit as opposed to towing an existing line for portrayal of characters interesting interesting i'm uh, maybe maybe and i and i think that started with i think that started this is when it's going to get convoluted i think it started with gerber i don't mm-hmm. think it really had a mainstream impact until like a generation past that mm. and when you see like an Alan Moore hmm. but I would I, 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 maybe I'm entirely imagining this but I see all manner of lines between Gerber and Alan Moore oh interesting how so there's just can you 
I, I can't. Um, there's a, a simultaneous awareness of the literary value of the medium mm-hmm. and the the needlessness needlessness of literary value to the medium that I think both show interesting Uh, and aware of the potential Mm -hmm. and also of the reason that trying to attain that potential may not be commercially viable and the importance of commercial forces to the comics does that make sense? I, I, I feel like I'm dancing around the definition as opposed to actually saying it. Um, I also think they share a very similar sense of humor. Right. It's it's hard for me because, of course, you know, more broke through. Well, it may not be hard for you because you didn't actually really read more Swamp Thing Run or is the, unless you finally got around to it. No, that's just um, I read it. I read more Swamp Thing Run. Oh, two years ago. Mm hmm. I don't know. I just see, and for I me, I can it, sort of see. I like, I see backwards. your point, I but but it's read, hard. It's what's that? I came to it backwards. I read Moore, then I read Gerber. Oh, I see. Well, but that's which is fine. But I mean, for me, it's kind of what's interesting is is that you know I, I can see those connections, but it it's so hard for me where I'm like, well, yeah, of course, Graham, because they were both writing characters set in a swamp. But I realize that that's not exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Exactly what all. you're talking about. You know, it's like, Swamp, yeah, come on, Jeff. Yeah. Seriously, they're it, like the same guys. Right you know. Itself. Also, whoever knows fear burns Alan Moore's touch. <laughs> <laughs> whoever knows fear burns at Alan Moore's beard. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I I don't know. It, it's interesting to me. I I. I really do. I love Gerber. I can totally understand that Howard the Duck stuff didn't age well. It's it's a very hard thing to defend. I just think that I still, like, at least when I sat down and read those essential um, man things, I was like, yeah, there's a lot here that's actually overwritten and is flesh, is, is underdeveloped. Um, but it, it is a little bit of the idea of like, it's almost like it's the first time it's ever appeared and, and therefore is so special and odd, you know? And it also might be this kind of thing that, that works in aggregate, you know, that there is something to the context of reading a Steven Gerber book when surrounded by all the other seventies books on the stand at the time, you know? Um, yeah, but again, because uh, I I agree with you, but I don't know. A part of me thinks how valuable is art if art has to be seen in its exact concept to be appreciated. I, I totally agree, um, and it's but it's worth remembering that that art changes. Art does change with the times, you know. So no, I, I agree, and, and definitions which, change with the time as yeah. well. But I think that okay, I guess put it another way. How valuable is art in an aesthetic value mm-hmm. as opposed to a cultural value? Right. Well, and I guess what I'm saying is is that <clears throat> maybe the next generation will have more will be in a in a situation in a context for which Steve Gerber seems uh, both more valuable and more timely than he does now. Oh yeah, it's, it's definitely possible. 
yeah. So I, I, I kind of see that just kind of in the same way that some of the stuff that we were looking at in the Defenders seemed strangely modern, you know. Yeah. It may well be because that was, you know, the book where he was doing, you know, he was bringing his thing to it, but there was other stuff going on. You're like, wow, that seems really timely. Whereas, like, when you step in with Howard the Duck as this expectation of, like, here's this super modern comic. It's like, it's weirdly dated, you know? And definitely parts of Swamp Thing, Man Thing, that I thought were, like I said, just badly written. Gerber, like you said, had a sense of the literariness of it, but I do not think that he was essentially literary, I guess, you know? And I think that that makes a lot of difference to how his work pans out. Mm -hmm. So, and yet I, I love the guy, so... I hope we answered your question, Aaron. I don't know if we completely <laughs> went on, in, in our own asses there or not. David Oakes, thankfully, then comes to the rescue with lots of quick questions. Magnitude, threat, or menace? Mm. Yes, is the answer. How many waffles exactly. do you need in one sitting? <laughs> You've proven the answer to this. I, I don't know. I, in I, one I, sitting? I, I got waffles. kicked out before I could keep going. How many like, did you have at that one sitting? Uh, didn't I have three at that no. one sitting? And then, was it four? It was four. No. I thought I had three, and then I came back later that day for the fourth. No, you had two, and then you had another one, and then you had another one. (laughs) Okay, that that, that was the four, yes. And then I came back later? I am awesome. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) How many fraction comics can you read in one sitting? Not as many as I can eat waffles, I have to say. Uh, Would the podcast be any shorter if we stopped asking questions? Maybe. Uh, As it is, we've talked for an hour and a half, and we'll see exactly. The problem is us. Like we've handled eight questions, so clearly the problem is us. Okay, Murray wants to know what we think of John Rosam's blog post, and honestly, we—that's one we should do in the future because that will take at least another half hour for us to talk through. Yeah, let's see if we can unpack that next time because it's definitely worth talking about for sure. Uh, Dave Clark says, "What would you recommend to someone who's never read Englehart but enjoys your talk about his work?" Oof, that is so rough. I would say, actually, to me, his Captain America reruns, uh, if you can go grab those, those are fantastic. Yeah, I would, I would say that. Or, again, if you want something more normal, quote-unquote, uh, do what I did, the West Coast Avengers. It has enough Engelhart and enough Avengers for you to be like, ah, it's superheroes that I recognize, but it's kind of off-kilter. And then from there, go to Captain America. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, his Avengers stuff, I, I, I do. I love Captain America. I love the Avengers. West Coast Avengers is the same with, like, 80s Green Lantern stuff, where it's like, I I do love it, but it's it's it never quite made the same imprint on me, probably because it came second. Uh, some people really like his Batman work with Marshall Rogers, which you can get, should be able to pick up a, a copy of. Um Again, that usually gets explained with a lot of in the context of, but I honestly think the the Captain America stuff and also the West Coast Avengers stuff just has a narrative propulsion that just works. I, I kind of um, want to tell you to go back and read the West Coast Avengers stuff, which is, I would say, it's actually better when you revisit it. Oh, and also, the Vision and Scarlet Witch collection. <laughs> Seriously, it's absolutely insane. If you're, yeah, you're like, that is good. weird... Honestly, like Marvel Comics, but someone has turned it 45 degrees. The Vision of Scarlet yeah. Witch miniseries that's available as one trade, I think it's called A Year in Life, is really kind of awesome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, I've got to I've got to try and get that out of the library. And again, his Avenger stuff so good. But yeah, you know, really, really. then you move on to the Green Lantern stuff. It's a shame that I never really took to Coyote because, of course, there's a lot of people who are that, still fans of that. That one. was something it's else I almost bought in that cheap comic book sale. Oh, really? Because oh, they, they were like eighty cents each, and I was like, oh, maybe, but no. Um, who will be the next artist Mark Miller will snap up for a big project? Hmm. Uh, oh no, you know he nailed quietly. So I mean, is there who else would he really be after at this point? Well, he actually Miller had a post on his website where he's like, "What about blah 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 and blah blah blah?" And he mentioned Sean Murphy, and I saw that and I was like, "It's got to be Sean Murphy." Oh, interesting. I don't know. I just I think the Murphy now that Marcos Martin is not available. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The Murphy is the next one who is enough of a stylist, but also mm-hmm. enough of a, a, an up and comer to to possibly do something. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Uh. Yeah. That 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 makes a lot of sense to me. Who will take over Avengers after Bendis? Didn't we do this last week? I, you know, it, was it last week or was it a few weeks ago where we spent a lot of time... We were pretty like, much like, it's probably going to be Fraction, but who knows? <laughs> right. You said, right, you had Fraction. At one point I was like, oh, Hickman. Like there were, At one point I swear to God there was somebody who I thought like, oh, it's just blindingly obvious it's going to be blah, blah, blah. Which was different because two weeks before we'd said, you'd said Fraction and I had agreed with you. And then now I was like, no... Who do we want to take over Avengers after Bendis? The only answer for that is Steve Englehart. <laughs> oh, God, no, that would be terrible. Uh, <laughs> who do I want to take over Avengers? Hmm. That's a really good question. I don't know. I really genuinely don't know. I Part of me is really tempted to say I don't want there to be an Avengers book for a while after Bendis. Boy, which is great. impossible. But yeah, I really, I'd impossible. really like them to take a break. Hmm. If I had my druthers, yeah, that that would be I, exactly because I'm so burnt out on Avengers in a way. Like, and I haven't even been following the book for a couple of years. Like, I just pick up every other issue I pick up. I'm like, ah, sweet Jesus, why did I bother? If you like, spent a couple of hours doing the solicits for Comics Experience earlier today, like I did, you'd be really burnt out on doing Avengers. See, exactly, exactly. God, God, there's there's a lot of crap coming your way in April, people. Oh, son of a bitch. Um, you know, I, it's it's rough it, because there's like a number of dudes that I think do good, te- good do great books but I don't necessarily think do good team books sadly I think Bendis is one of those people but you I, know like for example like Brubaker for like I like Brubaker I would not want to read Brubaker's Avengers especially after Secret Avengers well um, that's just that like there's lots of people whose work I like but also I'm just like I don't think I want to read an Avengers book by them Right, exactly. Like I really enjoy, but what Wade's been doing recently. But I don't think I'd want to read a Wade Mark Wade Avengers book. I don't. Um, it 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 might be you know the lesser of several evils. I would probably check it out before I checked out Dan Slott's work. But yeah, I don't. I don't know. I it, you know it's really a shame. I'm kind of. I kind of wish that I'd like browsed a bunch of comics so I could have bits of like ooh I'm very excited by blankety blank yeah it would be great if you're like you know I want to see Colin Bunn's Avengers uh, but right but I don't and I mm-hmm. it's no slight to him I think he right. does great work but I just I'm not that interested in the Avengers and I, I I think that's why I want no one to take them over I because I love the Avengers the Avengers is one of my favorite Marvel books and I am mm-hmm. so burned out on mm-hmm. even the concept of the fucking Avengers right now 
right because you had anywhere from like two to three titles to follow any given month for like years now um yeah i don't know i for me i just i can't imagine anyone doing something that would excite me but i've said that about daredevil and then wade came in so we'll just have to see hopefully an editor has a better answer than we do well they already know who's taking over Oh, right. Yeah, they, they've, 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 offered, yeah, yeah. they've offered it and someone's accepted. What line of comics, does Dave Clark also asked, should be brought back and completely reimagined by fan-favorite indie creators a la The Extreme Relaunch? Hmm. The Ultraverse. <laughs> and not, not Dude, just you've because... been on an Ultraverse kick lately. It's really That's, interesting. It's, it's partly, yeah, it's partly because I wrote that thing in Blog Out yesterday. But it's also just mm-hmm. like, it's compl- it's one of the few lines that is lying fallow and has been left to lie fallow for a really long time and has relatively good ideas inside it. Right. I mean, because you could also be like, Defiant, but nobody wants to read another Defiant book. Mm-hmm. You know? So yeah, the, yeah. the Ultraverse, and I couldn't tell you which fan favorite creators, though. Actually, I can. I really want Kevin Huizenga to do a, a science fiction comic. I really want Kevin Huizenga to do a science fiction comic. Wow. Wow. Can that you not imagine great. Kevin Huizenga doing a time travel comic? Would that oh, not blow God. your fucking mind? Yes, Kevin Huizenga doing time travel would be phenomenal. Just because all the stuff that he was doing on the edge of sleeping and dreaming. I don't know, you know, I, I feel like these are things that we're always sort of quasi touching on. I'm like, yeah, uh, you know, what's what's David Boswell up to? What's you know, like uh, let let's have Eddie Campbell take over the Avengers. You know, it's I don't I don't I I wish I had a better answer. I don't the extreme relaunch. Like even the extreme relaunch, I didn't have any. I wasn't like, oh boy, I hope someone takes over profit. You know what I mean? Like well, no, exactly. kind of like, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, it's 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 actually kind of good. It's good, yeah. So, I mean, really what people should do is, yeah, take over a line that they feel strongly about and then prove me absolutely fucking wrong when I'm like, nobody wants to read about the Defiant characters. You know you know what's you know? kind of weird? The mm-hmm. Valiant line is beginning to feel like that to me. Mm. I have no interest in Valiant, and I even said that. But there's something about, like, David Agis on it... And Robert Mendes wow. writing uh, Exo Manowar, which like I've never read an Exo Manowar comic in my fucking life, and I'm like, those are interesting guys. Yeah, exactly. It's it's like profit. That's an interesting idea. I'll you mm-hmm. know, I wouldn't have made that connection myself. I will check it out. And so yeah, the Valiant is kind of taking that place for me right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Um... And I think that I think we've accidentally answered someone else's question about that. I think someone else was like, "What do you think about Valiant?" <laughs> yes, and I think I ducked out because I didn't really, honestly, I wasn't reading the Valiant books back in the '90s. So somebody was like, "And what does Jeff think?" And I'm like, uh, "Jeff does not think much, unfortunately." <laughs> okay, I've always think- gone back to try and read them and have more. Yes. Do we still have time? Because I know yes. we have hard stuff. Okay, Eric Group asks, "What does Graham think of his dedicated following of haters and spinoff and blog ad?" Oh God, we'll have to come back to that because there's no quick answer for that question. At oh all. really? I thought there would be a quick. Oh, um, okay. The short version of the quick answer: uh, It makes me feel really uncomfortable. It makes me think that it is a karmic payback for what I write and for positions I've taken on the internet in the past. I feel really grateful that it is a certain level of invective and not greater. Uh, I look at like what Laura Hudson's had to deal with, and it just blows my oh, yeah. fucking mind. Um, it's not only spin-off and blogger. The worst reaction I got something I've written online was in response to a Techland post last week that really like 
Oh, just upset it. me. Really, really, really upset me. Got me really, really angry and really depressed. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of think of it as a necessary evil. I, I think if you if you're online enough and you're saying I think this then mm-hmm. you're going to get people hating you. If you're online enough and saying, I think this, and as I've done in the past, are taking deliberately contrarian positions, right? I, I think you're asking for it. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really does upset me, but at the same time, I think I've asked for it enough. Haven't haven't the haters died down at Blogad, or is that just my... my uh, I've just not seen them anymore. They come, they come and go in waves? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, it, it, yeah, it, it totally depends on on what is being said at any given point. To be perfectly honest with you, part of it right. is I, I have a blogger recently tried to moderate my tone. Mm-hmm. Um, in response to that, and I've actually been doing the same on spinoff as well. On spinoff, I've been trying to I've tried to be less, you know, this sucks because blah, uh, <laughs> because although you know what's really funny. I did a story mm. for uh, Techland, mm-hmm. and headline got changed. Uh, and in the change, modifier got taken out. And I don't think that was the reason for the change because the change was much be- a much better headline. Uh huh. But because the modifier got taken out, I call these people and be like, "Why are you saying this?" And I was kind of like, "I didn't." Oh shit. <laughs> Um, which is kind of hilarious. Uh, yeah, it's... it's oh, how do I think? I don't know. I have really conflicted feeling about my dedicated following of haters. Really, really conflicted. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally sure. Yeah. Uh, come on, the content and creative team for comic book about waffles. Jeff? Mm. Yeah, I kind of drew a blank on that one. All of a sudden, I'm like, oh, you know who we should see? Uh, John Ostrander and uh, Tom Mandrake. Done. Is it, is it a possessed waffle? It might be. The waffle of vengeance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is. It's like, oh, that would be great. Like the this like some sort of ghostly waffle that like comes back and and like it presses itself on its. This is the face of fear. Oh and my god! That person Jeff. has like the waffle pattern. Jeff, what's that? The yes. ghost waffler. It's a wa- it's a guy who makes waffles, okay? Yes. But also yes. can't ever come to a point. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, it would be perfect. You know, it, it's a shame. It, uh, we had a guy who was running for supervisor of our district, uh, and our nickname for him was the Sex Waffle. And it's a shame that I'll never kind of be able to fully explain how Edie and I came up with the nickname of calling him the Sex Waffle. Please never do. It's much funnier not knowing. That's okay. Good. I'm glad because I was a little worried. So yeah, Uh, yeah, that would be that would be my pick. Alternately, God, who draws really good food? Like I would love to. Like if like you got. Yeah, Brandon, like if Brandon, maybe if Brandon Graham wrote and Paul Pope drew a comic about waffles, like that would be like, that would be the best. That could be awesome. Um, Is the Vision the Martian Manhunter of the Marvel Universe and vice versa? Yes. Really? See, I read that and my first thought was no. Why not? Uh, Because the Vision got some action. Like he sort of moved pretty quickly into that sort of no pun intended pole position there you know in a relatively short period of time like also I think the vision was a f- seemed to me like a fan favorite in of a different sort than the way that the Martian Manhunter I guess yeah, the Martian was. Manhunter you, makes you feel safe because he's there 
as opposed to right. ever actually doing anything. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind well, of true, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, Imagine, yeah, yeah, yeah. What, it's, it's never... It's like um, Morrison's X... Uh, not X-Men, Justice League, where everything falls to shit as soon as the Martian Manhunter leaves for leave of absence. And in the right. last storyline, he comes back and he's like, I'm back, and everything goes well from that point on. The Martian Manhunter's very presence makes everything better, but he never actually has actions to back that up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's very much the... And I think he is. He's the soul of the Justice League in a way that the Vision just never was. You know what I mean? Like, I would almost say that you could make a better case for Hawkeye being the Martian Manhunter of the Marvel Universe and vice versa. So what? The Red red Tornado is the Vision? Yeah, I guess. I mean, but boy, did the red the red tornado sucked. Like, I mean, oh, the they, did, they did everything wrong. Like, seriously, that was a character that everyone was like, you know, the Vision shows up and he's like, even an android can cry, and you're like, oh man, that's so cheesy, but so awesome. And then you like, you could open the Justice League, and it could be Red Tornado going, yes, and even an android can fuck him, kill him, kill him. <laughs> Kill him yep. now. The best part is the um, Crisis on Multiple Earth collections, which are all sadly now print, um, because it was just the, the annual crossovers between Justice Society and Justice League. Yes. For like three stories in a row, had the mar- had Red Tornado dying. <laughs> <laughs> and then be, exactly. like, at the end of the story, they'd be like, he had a soul and we never knew. And then the next story, because it's like a year ahead, he's back. Right. Yeah, he's back. And there's no explanation. Yeah. And he will die again at the end of that story. And they'll be like, yeah. he had a soul we never knew. And then the next story, he's back. <laughs> and he'll die again. And they'll be like, we had a soul you never knew. <laughs> exactly. Red Tornado was like the Kenny from South Park of the DC Universe. God, I hated the Red Tornado. He was terrible. <laughs> he was so bad. I remember reading him as a kid and it was just like, fucking shut up. He was awful. He, and they had no way to, like, like, seriously, like, that was a guy where, like, DC was like, all right, we need a new superhero artist. What do you like to do? I like to draw circles. Gotcha. All right, give me a few minutes. You know what I mean? It was just like fucking Mr. Spirograph in the sky. Like, there I am flying. Now I will, uh, oh. Red, uh, no, the Red Tornado is, is... I'm sorry, you're entirely wrong. The Red Tornado is fucking awesome. Fucking awesome for so many reasons. One of which being, when he first is invented, he's a robot and he's got that weird robotic face. Yes. And then later on, Satana's like, I've made you a new costume. And he's like, okay. And you're like, he's not fucking wearing a costume. Yeah. It's his fucking body. He's a robot. How does this work? And he comes out, he's got his striped pants. Do you remember the striped mm-hmm. pants costume? I are you talking? Yes, I mean he looked like he looked. It totally was Zatanna's cruelest joke. Like I'm totally <laughs> gonna dress this guy up. Like everyone loves no, a robot who looks so, like the world's gayest so guy. He had the with arrow it. on his head. Oh my god, the arrow so and everything is so bad. It's like bell bottom. But it really was. It was totally like everything was designed so that like the red tornado would get the shit kicked out of him in Stonewall. He just looks so bad. And terrible. That ca- yes, and then the, then they gave him that thing where it's like I shall try to be human by putting on a face. Now I'm a bald guy with like a whiny child and a whiny wife, and which like, was seriously. also spectacular. He's no. like I must try connect with humanity. I will adopt an orphan, 
And then, because that's really fucking logical, I will then get married to the woman trying to stop me adopting the orphan because she thinks I'm shady. That was the greatest story, like the greatest plot development ever. Yeah, that, that Red Tornado, awful. I'm telling you, Red Tornado should make a new 52 comeback. Oh, God, no. Oh, they should, they should, Bag, yeah. Peter Bag should write it. Peter Bag. <laughs> Greatest comic DC I will accept my royalties right now. Good, good luck on that one, Graham. I have to say, yeah, we obviously opposite ends of the Red Tornado spectrum. Anyway, so yeah, the Vision, the Martian Manhunter, the the Red Tornado, all different. You have to pick what level of emo you actually and heavy browed emo you like, and I think mine's the Vision. So, really, you're not going to go for Hawkeye because he's not emo at all. Well, no, no, no. I just meant for the of those three, but I oh, do think three. that Hawkeye, but Hawkeye and Martian Manhunter uh, are closer in the sense of they are the soul of their respective teams, despite the fact that they weren't there at the beginning, kind of thing. Hopefully and also, keep Manhunter. on being written out. Right, keep being writing out, and then that's, that's, drags them that's back. still the the one thing about the new Justice League that really bugs me. That the Martian Manhunter isn't in the book. Isn't in the book. Yeah, well, maybe they'll bring him around. I'm like that, even more than the kind of hilarious fifth issue of, of that book. Um, that's the one thing that really annoys me. Oh, is that the issue that just came out? Yes, today? yes. And you've read it? What, how is it? What happens? It's um, it's interesting. <laughs> uh, there's a spectacular bit where Superman is kidnapped by the Pyrodemons. Right. And Batman and Green Lantern are, are having a moment afterwards, like they're they're having a, a male bonding moment. Hang on, I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to get the book so I can read the dialogue because it will make it will blow your mind. And then when I tell you what is happening during this conversation, your mind will be blown even more. I've, I've, sad, I've sadly just passed the page where Green Lantern says Green Lantern's got this, and that's like more than half a page. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, so they, they um they're they're having a conversation after they had their ass kicked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Batman says he leveled the rest of the block. We need to stop, find the others, and regroup. Green Lantern says, "Out of my way, Batman! Don't need you. Don't need anyone. I can handle this. Your arm is broken, you idiots. Ring's still working. That's all that matters. Now, out of my way! You're going to die. Then I die. What are you trying to prove?" I'm not trying to prove anything. Then who are you trying to live up to? Don't act like you know me. You don't. I bet no one really does. Is that your superpower? Psychoanalysis? We're just somewhat alike. You and I are nothing alike. We're alongside an alien, an Amazon, a human lightning bolt, a cyborg, and an Aquaman. Clue to Jeff Johns. You couldn't come up with anything better than an Aquaman. That is best than like, and an Aquaman? Oh my god. As far as I can tell, you and I are the only normal people here. Wearing a bat suit is normal? No, it's insane. So you're taking it off? No, my name is Bruce Wayne. <laughs> I swear to god, that's what happens. He put, takes the mask off and says, my name is Bruce Wayne, in the center of the whole thing. The best part, the next panel. Who the hell's Bruce Wayne? Batman <laughs> then says, when I was 10, my parents were... Oh, working. no! This keeps I... going on? Oh, my God. I cannot <laughs> believe this. This is... I've tried to fight the same kind of criminals that took their lives. But this is different. This isn't about me. You're telling me this. Why? This is bigger than I am. And it's bigger than you are. Get out of your own way. 
focus on what's important here, everyone else. So far, it's been batter up that we need to stop playing baseball and start playing football. We need to be a team. That's Batman. Okay. So go re- regroup with the others and do what? You're allowed. They'll listen to you if you've got something to say. Try to at least sound smart. Keep them alive and keep Darkseid busy until I get back. While this conversation is going on, Batman doesn't just take off his cowl. He then takes off his cloak and then my favorite part of the whole thing takes the bat off his chest. <laughs> really, he takes the bat off his chest. Why? Who knows? Maybe he'll come back later. I don't. Oh, it's just to dress yeah. up as a parademon. I'm just impressed at the just, just you reading that dialogue, which is like DC prevents presents prevents if only <laughs> Jeff Johns' first like improv class. Like I cannot. That's that is who wrote that, and why couldn't someone punch him in the stomach afterward? That was wait wait wait. It gets it gets better slash worse. <laughs> then wakes up the rest of the team. Okay. Mm-hmm. And even though Cyborg earlier on had actually said, I'm not with you guys, he then goes, Green Lantern goes, kids? And Cyborg goes, yeah, you could. I don't know. I don't know what's happened to me. You want to hear? Hell no. All right then, says Green Lantern, we got this. That is two-thirds of the page. Green Lantern saying, we got this, with all the Justice League running dramatically. The Flash then goes, we got this. That's your big battle cry? Stop worrying about our battle cry and stick to the plan. And since when do you come up with the plan? Stay focused, Barry. This is the end of the world, remember? This isn't about me. This isn't about you. I'd say hell had frozen over if it wasn't right in front of us. Oh, oh God. Oh, God. I, I admit it. Your eyes have rolled back into your head, haven't they? <laughs> I'm blind. I cannot actually see. They cannot find their way to the front of my head to see again, Graham. You blinded me for life. I'm staring at the back of my head, and it's a depressed place. What the fuck? Oh, my God. Really? It's it's appalling. (laughs) That is not good. And, I mean, I have a certain amount of leeway latitude for Jeff Johns, but that is really, really bad. Yeah, I know. That is really... I know. It's 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 all manner of... Shit, I've only got two issues left in the storyline and they haven't even vaguely formed a team? Um, okay, I'll do this. I'll have them vaguely form a team. But, I mean, but it's... Uh, I, I'll have everyone act horribly out of character while forming a team. So far, it's been batter up. Batman, since when do you talk in fucking baseballs or metaphors? I don't because ever since he was a bat, like you know what I mean. Like this is this level that like Jeff Johns is like working at now. You know, it's like batter up now that we've got the green light. It's time to speed ahead. Oh, you know? see, you're just showing where he's missed out. Yeah, right. Exactly. No, this is, oh, uh, dude. I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised that that is. Actually, I'm not surprised. I saw that preview on Bleeding Cool where Aquaman gets dumped into the desert, and I honestly was, like, sort of so appalled I was amused, you know. And then I read the inside, like, because it had three pages, which is just him like falling into the desert splash page he's in a desert and then a full page of him looking around at the desert and going uh oh and I'm like really three pages like that's like 
we need can we somehow summon Bob Haney back you know what I mean because I almost feel like these are Bob Haney books being written without the the brevity or the wit or something you know it's it's yeah Justice League is just terrible <sighs> boy oh boy yeah boy okay um <laughs> Okay, so we should get back to the questions, but I, in part, because it'll hopefully restart my brain. So, okay, do, do uh, we also have time? We do. We've got about another half hour, which is great, because oh, we we're did? on okay. question I, I, six I thought, out of 58. Yeah, I, I thought that you were, you had hung yeah. stop at like five minutes from now, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I, I think I can go extend it and still get to where I need to be. Are there ways of making physical of uh, Are there ways to make buying physical single issues more attractive to customers in ways that don't involve things like excluding backup material from the digital or collected editions? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tough. I'm, I, I mean, I'm not sure there are. Beyond fetishizing yeah. the, the physical object, I don't see how you could do it. Yeah, there's there's fetishizing the the physical object. There is, of course, the idea that there's a resellability um, factor that you can play up. But I, so I, you know, I kind of like the fact that you can. I like the the backup material, no backup material between digital and collected editions. I know that Hibbs actually suggested the going the other way around, where you put your backup material in the digital editions. Um, but of course, he was like, "So you can sell them for a higher price," you know, was his thing, you know. Uh, clearly, that didn't end up happening. But that's part of the reason why Justice League had some sketch edition variant covers and stuff like that. I think. Um, I don't know. Some people think that that having a download code will make this single issue more attractive, so that you've got a hard copy and a soft copy. I sort of wish DC was doing that instead of Marvel, because uh, you know, I've got my weirdo fucked position about that. <laughs> I, I I don't know how to do it to be honest. I I'm I'm very I don't know. I, I it seems like part of me is like why would you want to do that anyway? I guess. Yeah, I mean, as far as we can tell, until the hard numbers come out, the physical single issues are more attractive to customers because they are still selling more, and in theory, way way more. You know. Um, I, uh, no, but also you... it, it it implies the question implies that physical single issues are somehow superior and therefore need some sort of artificial way to keep alive. Well, Do you know what I mean? It's like I like I that... prefer them, but right. I I don't think if the, if the market decides right that they are I, see, not I, preferred I, I, format, I don't think they have any inherent right to exist. Well, I, I'm not sure. To me, the inference was that there's a need to keep physical issues being attractive. And I do believe in that because I do believe in keeping the direct market alive and successful. So in, in that regard, I think I think there is, uh, you know, but I don't necessarily. But yeah, whether or not they're inherently better or not, it's just excuse me they are they are very different um but yeah i wish i knew the answer to that i wish the marketplace knew the answer to that and make our lives all a lot better what happens if in september 2012 dc is basically in the same market position they were in september 2012 with maybe a few more titles in the top 10 or 25 does warners just keep letting them go as long as they're making money overall do they try something splashy again that isn't a relaunch reboot or does warner give up on publishing comics would they keep vertigo going as a boutique graphic novel publisher if they did that 
uh, I, I look, if if they were in the same place in September that they were in September, I think DC would be fucking over the moon because that was when they they trounced yeah. Marvel. Uh, exactly. Um, I, like let's I, say if or, August yeah, to August, exactly. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think a that's probably likely going to happen in terms of market share, uh, and b I think Warner's will let them keep going as long as they're making enough money. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Warner's is doing a whole bunch of things that that are involved with, um, you know, they're still in the process of trying to bring all this stuff together. They're trying to bring DC together as as one unit, you know, DC Comics with DC Entertainment. You know, we will see. I, I, I think that what they're going to look at, what I hope that they will look at, is they're going to look at the amount of money that they poured into Green Lantern in the movie and how much it made. And then they're going to look at how much money they poured into Green Lantern in the comic book and how much it made. And be like, you know what? There's no reason to, to, to you know, the, just because the goose's eggs aren't pure gold, there's no real reason to strangle it, you know? Um, I think they're just going to keep on going and doing whatever the hell they're doing. The, the problem is is if someone like Dan Tadio is like, okay, we've got to figure out a way to top this and resuscitate this, you know, idea and, and make it bigger somehow. Honestly, yeah, I think... The, the concern, I think, more is DC destroying itself than Warner's destroying DC at this point. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So out of, out of a press of, like, hubris or a need to impress. Honestly, we're still a long... Hopefully, knock on wood, we're a ways away from the first set of crossover events. Let's see how we get through that. I, I can't imagine DC doing anything crazy like rebooting for I want to say five years maybe three years minimum but we, we will see I, I, I would prefer it if they didn't at all reboots but, yeah. to the to the extent that they've just done well or or I don't know would you call it a back boot in other words like bring everyone back like Heroes Reborn style into some other version oh, I, I, of no, I think a number of years away from that unless everything tanks yeah, unless every, I, to tank to a point where they're significantly lower than they were before the relaunch. Exactly, exactly, and I think that will will take a while to happen. No, I think I think they're going to hang out for another five years at least, maybe even longer. So, um, and I don't think you know anything can happen with Warner's, but I actually think that DC is still in a far more comfortable pole position um, than than say Marvel is. People have been talking about 2012 being the year of the creator. Do you see this happening? Why or why not? Oh, man. Obviously, I don't, because I was like, what? Who says that? Who said the <laughs> year of the creator? Well, well, Eric Stevenson and Image are definitely trying to portray it that way. And you've seen, oh, a, lot I see. people, you've seen a lot of people talking about that because you've got uh, creators leaving Marvel yes. for creator-owned books, namely Miller yeah. and Hitch. Yeah, who are the two who actually portrayed it that way? But you've also got like Marcos Martin, for example, leaving Marvel to do the book with Brian K. Vaughan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I don't really. I guess what I see is, um, some variant of that. I guess, which is yeah, it's it. I see 2012 is maybe being the year that the year of Image's PR campaign. Yeah, I was going to say, it depends on how successful Image's campaign is, so whether people think it is. I think 2012 might be the year of people being more aware of creators as actual things that exist, if that makes sense. I think a lot of the discussion that we've seen recently about pirates and how that impacts creators 
shows more of an awareness that the books don't create themselves. Yeah, yeah. I would I would have to say that 2012 is the the year of the creator putting food on his table. You know what I mean? Like just in the sense of like that the last couple of months seem very heavy with dudes on the internet saying like, hey, we have to do it this way or I'm not going to have this job or hey, we've got to do it this way or I'm not going to be able to eat, you know? And it kind of reminds me of when Brian Wood was doing all his blah, blah, blah about uh, Dark Horse, you know, people jumping down Dark Horse's throat for reversing their pricing policies and being like, oh, but I might have to leave comics, you know? We're getting a lot of that. A lot of people saying like, hey, it is really hard out here for a pimp. And I'm kind of like... I. I'm not sure that that is whether what that pans out to be. Uh, I don't think that that. I mean, that you could say that that's the year of the creator. I guess in about the same way that I don't know, 1932 was like <laughs> the year of the commuter. I don't know. You I, know what I mean? Like I the year of the dust bowl worker. I don't know where you're going with that. <laughs> Yeah, year of the people who sleep in garages. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 going to be a tough year. I definitely feel like more than ever before, creators are trying to figure out ways. They're being very hands on in their attempts to try and resuscitate the industry. Yeah, I, I feel whether it's the year where it might not be the year of the creator, but it's the year of trying to work out how to do it. Mm-hmm. Like it's the, it's the year of staying alive. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, uh, talked, let's see. Jeff has talked about not completely boycotting Marvel in order to support comics he thinks are good. But is there a way to actually support those comics that don't also support the publishing and business decisions behind them? Is this a question we should put forward? Because I feel like this is yeah, it's it's a good it's a big boot. I mean, and it's tough because variations of it are going to come up down the line. So yeah, let's do push. publishers and creators like to push piracy consciously or unconsciously is the main problem facing the comics industry in order to not have to confront the possibility that there might be problems with the products that are putting that they are putting out as being the main problem facing the industry and not their customers being assholes. That's referring to David Brothers thing. Right. Uh, this could also be something we can kick ahead, although I have to say, mm-hmm. I think uh, Tom Spurgeon got it entirely right today. Did you see Tom Spurgeon's piece on this? You know, I did. Everything? I, I, yeah. I was like, I agree, Tom, to practically everything he said. Yeah, I guess. I don't... I, I, I had some problems with it, because I think that it totally, like... Because part of his emphasis was like, uh, I don't think that I'm as much worried about piracy as I'm worried about the idea that creators aren't allowed to put out their books in the for have the control over publishing the book in the way that they want. Didn't he say that? Yeah. Okay. And I was just, I kind of went, huh? And that's just me. I apparently people thought that that was an amazingly good point. I have no idea what that means you know what I mean like I'm kind of I don't really see how that ties into things um, I kind of thought that the whole idea that like people that were seeing more of these stories of quibbling and squabbling because the industry is under pressure also I had some problems with that so I I don't think I think I think I had I think what I'm saying is is that you had a better take on Tom's thing than I did but I totally admit that I speed read it like really really quickly so 
And apart from that, um, we will kick it forward. <laughs> yeah, let's kick it forward because I think that it's really worth arguing, especially when Jeff knows what the hell he's saying. Uh, Megatrip asks, thoughts on whether or not we'll ever see Miracle Man or Marvel Man new or reprints? We will. Yeah. I think I think we're more likely going to see new stuff before we see the reprints. That's not true. I think we'll see the new stuff before we see the reprints that we want to see. Exactly. I think nobody, honestly, it was great rereading that one uh, post where that guy summarized everything that Marvel had said. About yes, and it was just horrible. It was brutal. It, yeah, it was it was brilliant. And the thing that was amazing that I thought was great was the way that that they so tried so hard to spin Marvel Man as being a character that is appealed to everyone through the ages while sort of surreptitiously hinting at the fact that they wanted you know, the Alan Moore, Neil Gaiman material. Yeah. And I was like, good for them. But I'm like, I don't necessarily think that that was true in any way. Oh, no. I mean, you have to bear in mind, if Marvel Man was that popular character, Captain Marvel would be more popular character, seeing as he's the first guy. If if you can't make the original work in a commercial, you're not going to get the copy to work. Yeah, that that was my feeling. This is like I do not see anyone being jumping up and down about Marvel Man reprints from the fifties or sixties because no one's jumping up and down. Like, because even the people who are jumping up and down about CC Beck's original Shazam are are being not even getting anything thrown their way. So yeah, Father Gaffney, if digital books were a buck cheaper day and date, would you drop your floppies and go full digital? I love the term full digital because it sounds sexy, but. <laughs> Yeah, neither would I. I, I. I just, I just prefer reading stuff in physical format. See, and here's the thing: I actually love reading stuff in digital format, but it's a combination of I want to support the shops, um, and no, I mean it's kind of that weird thing. Like now, admittedly, I buy more and more comics, digital comics, all the time, and I definitely have found a point where. At 99 cents, I will go to I I'll get I'll be shocked at the stuff that I I picked I've started like that IDW's infestation sale. I almost picked up like all of that shit because it was 99 cents a pop. And as I was my finger was hovering over the little buy button, I was like, why would I do this? You know what I mean? Like I don't actually like, want to read infestation. <laughs> yeah, you know I, I'm like because it because of this idea of like zombies, Star Trek, and Ghostbusters all crossing over in a weird surreptitious way. I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, no, Jeff, no. Think about it. Think about yeah, it. you have to talk to me about that because I completely bought into that and then was disappointed, even though I knew it was coming, that they don't actually cross over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Although, as we said, I really like the setup for Infestation 2, which I got sent the other day. Oh, yeah? What, what is the setup? Uh, it's Lovecraft this time. It's not zombies. Mm-hmm. And the idea is Lovecraft didn't create his stories. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft was fed his stories by the actual entities. Mm-hmm. And every time someone read his stories, the entities mm-hmm. gained more power so they could break right. through into our dimension. Okay. That seems pretty... Okay. And then they're just going to tie it in with, like, a bunch of IDW books again? Yeah, it, it ends with, like, they've got they've attacked some guy and he has superpowers that allows him to go between dimensions mm-hmm. so they end up scattered across all these other dimensions oh, interesting yeah I you know I love the I love the idea of it because I always think that that's sort of fun and clever but yeah I'll be honest part of what killed me with the infestation thing was they were like 
it started with the uh, um, pulling in characters from the zombie versus robot averse or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, what? Like, that just left me deeply uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, hey, everybody loves Ashley Wood, especially when Ashley Wood isn't drawing Ashley Wood. You know what I mean? Like, everyone loves Ashley Wood for the ideas. Like, ugh. Like, I, that just didn't, that did the opposite of something for me, you know? Like, I, which, which I'm, I am, which is hilarious, because if I'm wrong, I'm really going to eat my hat. But that is an Ashley Wood book, right? Zombies vs. Robots, wasn't it? It is. But is it actually mm-hmm. Zombies vs. Robots? Is it not covert vampire operative or whatever CVO is? Is that not the book they draw in? I think, I think it's a different Chris Ryle book. I'm not sure it's an Ashley Wood book they start with. Oh really? I thought that it was because they they definitely it might, said it, it the... could be it, it might be both. Well, no, I mean there were actual characters involved. So right off the the bat, I was like, this isn't even an Ashley Wood book. You know what I mean? So shows you what I know. I'm, um, I'm, look, yeah. I'm looking up the comic. I'm looking up Wikipedia. Ah, there you go. Well, it is it is set in the zombies versus robots and CVO universe. Oh, okay. See, so there's two universes there. Yeah. All yeah. Right. See, so yeah, and and for me, I'm like zombies versus robots is barely. You know what I mean? That's ugh, God bless, but I'm like that's not a universe. It's a sketchbook. There's a huge and C- difference. CVO stands for covert vampiric operations. <laughs> God love them. Uh, I mean, really, God, that's... God bless them, really. Why shouldn't uh, I love that? It would super... be great if Infestation 2 does cross over with, like, Jennifer Love Hewitt's book and, like, uh, Parker's The Hunter and, you know what I mean? Like, Darwin Cook's... Like, just come up with, like, the world's weirdest titles to have them oh, cross no, over with. No, but they have got a killer one. It's yeah. crossing over with, with Weekly World News. <laughs> Oh, see, ah, Chris Ryle, you genius. That's that's both funny and yet still, I demand Parker. So it's, uh, uh, it's, it's Weekly World News and Archie from Groom Lake. <laughs> it's, it's it's called Infestation Team Up. That's actually what it's called. Uh, <laughs> it crosses over with Transformers, Dungeons and Dragons, Weekly World News, and Groom Lake, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, GI Joe, Thirty Days of Night. <laughs> It's it's such a funny, clever idea. Like I said, for ninety nine cents, I almost got it. So, the, as um, said, the, um, the Star Trek episodes are actually funny. For, from the first one, yeah, I I I would I was so tempted, especially with those beautiful gold key inspired covers. Uh, I yeah. really dug those. Uh, okay, Super God Master Force says, "What will Jeff be eating during this week during recording?" <laughs> Roberts G asks, what is the airspeed velocity of an unladen swallow? Damn it. Are you enough of a Monty Python fan to... I know there's supposed to be a laden or unladen, but of course I Uh, I don't know. uh, According to Google, by the way, the answer is apparently 38 to 40 miles per hour, although they can go up to 50 miles per hour. That's the answer, just in case you are really curious. Um... What movie is that a quote from? Monty Python. Monty Python and the, and the Holy Grail. Holy Grail? Yeah. yeah. Um, was the previous question grammatically correct? What movie is that a quote from? Oh, is that a quote from? Uh, let's say yes. And wait and what? Wait what? <laughs> yeah, your answer is as good as mine. Um, 
Marvel, let me switch over. I will start asking questions. Let's cool. see, we have 15 minutes. Julian Lewis Blair asks, and I like Julian, he's awesome. Marvel films have had vaguely interesting creative teams behind them. What would be your ideal writer, director, lead actor, gaffer, best boy, etc., for a future production? For instance, I long for the day that we see Louis C.K.'s War Machine or Woody Allen directing Ted Danson as Doctor Strange. I can't come up with any better ones than Woody Allen's record than Dancing the Doctor Strange because they're... yeah, you really that is that's going to be tough, especially from the um yeah in in terms of the vaguely interesting slant on it. Uh, I will say that I've always thought that that Doctor Strange would make a fantastic movie, and now more so than ever. Um, Who would you have to it? Coen Brothers? I've for some reason been obsessed with the Coen Brothers lately. <laughs> the Coen Brothers. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. Coen Brothers Doctor Strange I think it could be awesome uh, I, maybe maybe it could I don't know you know I, and this is the weird thing is is like I don't really like the trend in 3D but if you think about it to me Doctor Strange is so perfectly made to be oh made it would be awesome in 3D with those big globy hand things and just ditko the shit out of those effects yeah I, I would love that um, but in terms of like who you would cast in it I don't, I don't know who I'd cast. I want Brendan McCarthy to direct it. Brendan Brendan McCarthy, the the comic book artist. Yeah. Wow, that'd be great. Sure. I want Brendan McCarthy to direct and supervise the special effects for a three D Doctor Strange. <laughs> that would be a mind blower. That would be a mind blower. I don't think any. I don't think I would be able to top that. Um. Yeah. So yeah, a Doctor Strange movie. Don't necessarily know who I would put in it, but let's just let's just defer to Graham in this regard. <laughs> I have no idea who's going to be in Doctor Strange. James yeah, time. he's got the mustache. I don't know. Psh, pish. Well, you know, it'd be interesting because it'd be curious. Like, yeah. Jason Schwartzman. Jason Schwartzman. Jason <laughs> Schwartzman. Damn it! No. Awesome. Yes. No. no. Yeah, okay, no. you have to explain why Doctor Strange has such a like an emo comb over, but he could definitely grow the mustache, and you know he can do the fingers. He could do the fingers. Yeah, that would be great. No, no. God, I swear to God, there's somebody that you I could have like a short schlubby. <laughs> That'd be awesome. The Madness asks, It's funny that you should start like that because I was originally planning to email or something about the last podcast mostly to correct you about all the manga Jeff supposedly read. I love that. But I realized that would probably be a waste of time and then real life got in the way of me asking my actual questions. Okay, this is already why, the why, best question. Why The Madness ready. wants to correct me about all the manga you're reading? I don't quite know. Yeah, I, it was some clarification. So, first off, since you brought up Shonen Jump Alpha and you obviously read manga and Bakuman in particular, have you ever noticed the weird sort of discrepancy between how Japanese comics, the ones in Jump Style magazines at least, seem to really put a lot of emphasis on the reader's opinion, while on the other hand, American comics seem to almost completely ignore them? Good point. It is a factor of Bakuman that I knew was kind of the fact, but I did not realize was so fucking heavily the case until I read Bakuman. Um, on that note, while thinking of that, it brought to mind how you guys always talk about how you brought such and such a comic and then feel ripped off because it was X pages and cost X amount. And by you guys, I really feel that this is, again, still sort of directed toward me, Graham. I don't know. You don't usually complain about that, do you? I, I have. 
have you? If, for yeah, example, I... instead of having to go out and buy a Catwoman issue, Batwoman issue, Batman, etc., for $4 each, you could simply buy an 8 to $10 book that had all of those in it, would that still leaving you feeling like you wasted money if, say, two to three out of the five comics in it you felt were worthwhile? Of course, a book like that would have to become bi-weekly or something, but question stands. I, I honestly feel that it's such a weird, like, jump. Mm. Because if I read, if I got an eight to ten dollar book and half of it was shit, yeah, I'd feel like I was wasting money. Well, no, I think he said that. Well, yeah, if he said that three out of the five comics were worthwhile, I I don't know. And yeah, but I that means. Yeah, but he, also, he says two to three of the five comics. So if two of the comics are worthwhile, that means three aren't. More than half of the comics aren't worthwhile. I'm gonna feel like I wasted my money. Right. I guess sort of by definition. I, I have to say, uh, because of the manga model, I actually do think that uh, that I would I would be game for that, and I honestly think that um, your example's a really good one, the madness, and that I think that the Batman books could be particularly a Batman family book that was that was that big um, could be really fun. I do have to say, because most of my uh, experience with manga is totally in the collected stuff, and I'm a complete neophyte with the Shonen Jump Alpha stuff, like I've mentioned, I will be curious to see how I make that transition, because I'm not normally an anthology guy. Um, and as the madness points out, once it becomes bi, it, it would have to be bi-weekly, or once you get to weekly, you're shrinking the number of pages. And I'm not sure that American comic storytellers, most of them are good at telling stories in just 20 pages, much less how they would be doing at 10 or 12. So, Well, and um, I, this always makes me think of 2000 AD, because 2000 AD is five stories, six pages each. Right. In a weekly format. Mm-hmm. And so, for me, if, if half the thing is not enjoyable, then I will feel like I'm getting ripped off. And I, I have experience of that. <laughs> Do you know right. what I mean? Like, I, 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 what I think is going to be interesting is for you to start showing a jump alpha and enjoy it. And then once the novelty wears off, how you feel about continuing to read it on a weekly basis when you don't like the stories in it. Right. Because that, that's the killer for 2080. When 2080 is firing on all cylinders, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. When two of the four or five stories in there is not is bad or are bad I should say um, it's it's a problem like it really genuinely is you're like I I have to like I'm not going to drop this book because I want to read the other stories but I am paying money for these stories that I don't like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I do think that's a problem with the anthology format mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I, I, that that is a problem with the anthology format, and it's it's a problem that we're. Well, there's two things. One is, as I'm sure the person asking the question knows, um, the Japanese went to huge lengths to to make the price point as low as possible and jam it with as much content to make the the inevitable feelings of disappointment not actually catch you. Um, the other thing that I feel that I should point out before we jump uh, onto the next topic, oh, uh, right, and I'll, I'll mention that too, um, is that there was an amazing post by Jason Thompson over at Ionine, uh, of all places, about the problems facing uh, Japan and, and manga, the manga market is facing over there, that is 
an exhaustive article and talks about how in many ways Japan is because they're so much bigger they don't have nearly the same problems that the American comics place is, uh, is facing at least in terms of scale but they are facing significant problems and people there are freaking the fuck out in a significant way so honestly a lot of our suggestion these ideas would maybe help the american comic place if they'd been integrated like maybe back in like 91 92 but i sort of get the impression that there's enough problems japan's facing now that even if we switch were able to switch to anything like their model we would still be looking down the barrel of a gun i think also i put hunter Hunter X Hunter uh, on request from the library. I'll read the first volume and appreciate the uh, the um, recommendation. Rick Vance asks, "I would like to address one of the above questions." Wait, do I actually have to read this? Uh, probably not. It's not actually a question. Oh wait, no. There's oh, no, there is a question. my question would be: Are there any manga creators you would love to see given a shot at American properties as a fun one-off, and vice versa? Secondly, do you think anything like this is even personal uh, possible? Me personally, I, I'd kill to do Oda do a Justice League or see Urasawa take on Superman. Graham, go. I don't know enough manga to really have any type of strong opinion in this. However, it has happened. Haven't there? Hasn't there been a co- at least a couple of Batman graphic novels with manga creators? There have been, yeah, with dudes that I sort of think are relatively, you know, most most of the ones that Marvel used were dudes who were not that far up the the food chain, if at all. But the Batman novels were done by that dude who, in theory, had some kind of push for other books that he had done, and I don't remember his name or the name of the book, so I can't look it up. Um, that being said, I don't really know. I kind of like what the manga does, and I sort of like what the superhero comics do, and mixing them up always sort of kind of baffles me. I mean, there are guys like, uh, what's his name, who does uh, Dragon Ball and uh, Dr. Slump. Let him draw anything. If he could do, like, a de- if he could draw the X-Men Dr. Slump style, I would be... Uh, so there, it would not even be funny. Um, similarly, let Kazuo Koike, who I adore on Crying Freeman, let him do a batshit version of Batman where Batman is naked and humping all the time. Why not? You know? But but honestly, I kind of think that it wouldn't necessarily... At first, I was like, yeah, let's have Urasawa do the Hulk. But, I'm, you know, because it's so close to Monster in some parts. But I don't know. I like what those guys do, and what they do is very different. It seems strange to me to, to mix it up with superhero comics. The end. <laughs> <laughs> you can probably, I'll probably... Uh, uh, yeah. So you could probably jump past Jace Mitty because it's it less a question than a response to the question that we've not responded to yet. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, Brad Meltzer, Threat or Menace? Both. The answer is yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, Cass, uh, why can't I comment on your post at blog at? Rephrased, why does Newsarama hate me? Graham, go. I think you should ask yourself why <laughs> Newsarama hates you. Um, I really don't know why you can't comment. You're not the only person who's told me that. I honestly have no idea. Right. Okay. Which the only book... thing I can think is at some point you got banned for something else, <laughs> that and, and your great. your name's just in the system. I have no, I honestly have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Just email Graham and uh, with your real email address, and he'll look for it, look it up and solve it. 
Hint, you will not actually do that. Uh, which comic book movie, if any, are you looking forward to this year? And if you could make a movie starring an existing superhero, who would you choose and what direction would you go in? So who would you have the Coen brothers uh, direct? <laughs> I have absolutely no idea. I mean, are you looking forward to any of the comic movies this year? I kind of am because I, I like Chris I like Christopher Nolan uh, so I, I'm looking forward to the last Dark Knight movie I am, I really like Andrew Garfield so I will watch that Spider-Man movie although frankly I'm not expecting great things and the Avengers I don't know how I feel about the Avengers the Avengers gives me funny feelings you know like I cannot imagine any way in which that will not be a terrible movie but or, or at least this is one the one I'd, I'd be interested in seeing. I'm spectacularly mm-hmm. nonplussed by the, the comic book movies this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but I don't, I don't honestly know. Ooh, I really want to see that sequel to Ghost Rider. <laughs> and I'm not joking. I, I really do. Really seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you kidding? It's for the guys who did Crank and that commercial. Honestly, like some of that stuff looked awesome. I honestly thought that film would come out and failed already. I genuinely did. <laughs> I'm not joking. I really, really thought that that yeah. would come out and flopped. Yeah, and was gone already? No. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think of the introductions for comic collections? This is such a good question. I'm so sorry. We have only like several minutes. I think they're pretty terrible and generally fail to do justice or even engage with the text they introduce. Thinking right now of Bendis' intro to Inkal. But on the other hand, there have been some pretty good ones, e.g. for the Fourth World Omnibuy. What makes a good introduction and who in comics writes one? Oh, I totally think we should kick that forward to next week. Really? Okay. Cool. We've got we've got like three minutes. Uh, okay. Well then. Uh, oh, let do, me just. Do, uh, do you have a quick response then? Uh, I don't, but I will say that since I have three minutes, what I should address is R.M. Rhodes was was uh, among other people who smartly pointed out that Abbe has made comics uh, after in, in reference to last week's list episodes where I mentioned him as somebody who I wanted to read comics of. I should clarify, I want to read more comics by Abbe. I want to read comics by Abbe all the time. I hate to admit it, but I go to his Tumblr like 37 times a day just in the hopes that he has written even one sentence of something new so I should clarify he's somebody I know he's written stuff it was kind of great reading Tim Callahan's work though which I um, somebody I think he sent me the link to it was really did you did you read Tim have you read any of Tim Callahan's comics no I, I'm jealous that you got sent a link yeah, uh, I will. I will forward you the link. It's just some on Twitter. I think Tim Callahan was like, "Hey, thanks for the comment. Uh, I did do an old comic way back when with Blabity Blab." And then there's another comic on Activate that I have not read. Um, but yes, I was not clear on that point. I guess what I'm saying is, is that there are people on the internet whose work I enjoy. I want to see them making product, and I want to see it more frequently, which has got to drive someone like Abbe crazy. Because if you follow his Tumblr, you know he's actually working on a larger graphic novel project and has for months and is trying to wrap it up in the course of a year, I want to say. So um, it's really unfair. But of course, the, the, the important thing to stress is I sounded like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> and that's what I do. That's, that's why we tune in. Stress. Yeah, I think that I think that's the important thing to stress there. So I think what we're going to have to do is come back next week and answer the rest of these questions. Because sweet Jesus, we have like sixty questions. I was going to say, answer. yeah, we got through like at best half. 
Yeah, not even um, half. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. There's going to have to be a part two. Sorry, listeners. Yeah. Although, Sorry, listeners. listeners whose questions we've already answered, you're welcome. Um, yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to have to come back. Sorry, sorry, guys. We'll do more. I swear to God, we are so. <laughs> to sorry. be fair, it's because your questions were really, really good, and we can't stay on topic for the life of us. You know, yes, but everyone expects that. I don't think I'll, I'll be honest. I am gratified and mortified that we got so many questions um, because I thought it it was wonderful. I figured we'd get like 30 responses, uh, 30 questions. I was not expecting something on uh, 50 plus. Yeah, and and also, they're really good. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's not 50 questions and, you know, 10 of them are great and 40 of them are atrocious. They're all really good questions. So, good job, listeners. You guys are awesome. But you put us to shame and you mean that we didn't answer all of them. I know. In like two and a half hours. It's I know. Seriously, we suck. Yeah, so next week, part two. Hopefully there will be of two. Uh, and uh, exactly. we'll... Part two of how many? We'll, we'll yeah. have to decide that next week. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but thank you so much, and uh, we'll get this posted as soon as we can and move on to the next round. Thanks, listeners. Thank you, listeners. Goodbye. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye. Oh, man. Oh, the lolly. Goodbye. <laughs> She's like, Bye. I'll probably have to leave that part out, unfortunately. <laughs>